Hello to all my people, and if you're listening to this podcast, you're most definitely my people. Welcome to another episode of Botch Bots and Chair Shots. We still have high hopes of delivering quality wrestling content, but if not, we'll deliver season two premieres, and you know, whatever, so we still get over. I'm your host, a chef by trade and a mark by choice. I am the Will Gray, and I'm glad to be here on this journey, and today that journey is a Botch Bots and Chair Shots double feature. Remember, here at Botch Bots and Chair Shots, we're calling in the ring from all the angles. All right, BotchBots and ShareShots is super excited about our guest today. Joining us as a guest host on Thomas Island. She's also the host of the Squared Circle podcast, but today she is our professor of New Japan Pro Wrestling, Marie Shadows. Marie, glad you're here to chat about some wrestling. How are you? I am great. Thank you for uh, having me on. You know, um, yeah, I love uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. I'm definitely going to keep the moniker of me being the professor of New Japan. So that's great. <laughs> Um, so let's just jump into the meat of the conversation. The IWGP Intercontinental title is the topic of conversation. You're here for a very specific reason. Um, can you please explain to the masses who the IWGP is and what the role is with New Japan Pro Wrestling? All right. So the IWGP is basically an acronym. It stands for International Wrestling Grand Prix, right? And it was created by Anoki when uh, New Japan started in 1972. So we're automatically like 50 years in. I think this year should probably be like 51, but we're getting there. It's 50 years. Um, the IWGP title, the Intercontinental Championship title was created in, 20, in 2011. And then unfortunately in 2021, we saw it come to an end. It is currently unified with our new IWGP World Heavyweight Championship title that Okada currently holds. Um, so in the meat and potatoes, in 2011, New Japan did an invasion in the U.S., and as far as I understand, they were in a partnership with uh, Jersey All Pro Wrestling at the time. So what they did was they announced the tournament and they said, hey, we're going to have a newly minted IC title come into the picture. They did it over three days. Uh, this tournament featured MVP, Okada, Nato, Yano, Takahashi, all of which were staples in the New Japan locker room then and still now to this day. MVP tapped out Yano in a shade under 10 minutes to win the inaugural title. Looking back at where MVP is in his career then versus where he is now, where would you think this title reign fits being the inaugural IC champion? What do you mean by what, what I think it fits? I mean, I think it was, I mean, my first thought is that it was perfect. Um, just given, um, I, I think, I, I think I understand your, your question. Um, I think it was perfect to give MVP the first, um, chance to hold the belt, uh, because that's sort of groundbreaking for new Japan pro wrestling, uh, for anyone out there that's been watching new Japan, you know, forever since like it started, you know, that foreigners don't necessarily get a really huge shake like that. Um, it's usually based on the Japan guys. Uh, and then if the office uh, feels like, you know, you're worthy of it, then like, you know, they'll give it to you. And we've seen that, you know, Osprey held the belt at one point. Um, you know, Jay also held it. I, when I say Osprey, he held the other belts. He didn't really hold the, the Intercontinental, but either way, he held a belt. Um, but, you know, wrestlers like that. Um, I think that uh, it was fantastic that MVP gets to be the first uh, champion to hold that belt. Uh, so, yeah, I think it was a very good idea to have him be the first person. 
Uh, you started on this a little bit, so I'm going to to pick your brain. Do you think they gave it to an American first on American soil because they wanted that as a way to help the promotion get over, like make the American audience feel a little bit more comfortable with the product, everything that New Japan was doing at the time? Do you think that was kind of a, an easy segue for them to put it on a belt that the, the crowd was already familiar with? Yeah. Um, I mean, business wise, if I was like behind the scenes, um, with them in 2011, I probably would have pushed for for that too because you know you do all this prep, you have um, your guys like Okada and Yano and Yujiro over there, and also Naito over on American soil to like try to get this done. So yeah, it's sort of you know it makes sense um, home turf home turf advantage, and then those fans that are watching can definitely continue to watch because it's one of their guys that has the belt. So yeah, I, I think it was okay. Uh, with MVP's career throughout all his promotions, he's held titles everywhere. Where do you think this IC title reign fits amongst his other title reigns? Uh, the best one. You think it's his <laughs> top belt? Yeah. Um, I, you know, uh, not to like speak for MVP, but I would consider it um, like the top belt only because it's New Japan. It's something outside of uh, American Indies is something outside of WWE and like TNA, like the places he went to. So like, for me, I would definitely be like, yeah, that's, that's definitely like the highest one. Uh, speaking on the work done in the ring in the tournament, all three of the matches that MVP won were by submission. He was the only person to claim a submission victory in the tournament. Do you think that says something to the style of wrestling versus strong style versus the, uh, the American technical side of wrestling? Like would it give me a comparison for those two? Yeah. Um, so for anyone that has ever like listened to me talk about wrestling, I love um, submission based uh, wrestling. I love technical side of wrestling. You know, I'm not too fond of like flips unless it's like some psychology behind the flips in order for it to make sense. So knowing that, um, you know, uh, MVP won all of his matches via submission, that makes me a happy girl. Uh, just because like, you know, I always say that the drop toe hold is your best friend. Uh, Roll-ups are your best friend. The simple of leg locks are your best friend. But again, how do you get there? You work on a body part. MVP is so um, gifted in the ring. If anyone wants to go back and watch any of his other indie stuff, he's so brilliant in the ring that it just made sense for him to do um, submissions because most of these guys do strong style and strong style is just really hitting you with like strikes and kicks. But when you eliminate the feet, when you eliminate their legs, what else can they do? They can't do anything else. They don't have a base anymore. So you end up uh, winning by submission because you took out their most dangerous weapon. And that, and you know, that, that's what makes MVP the all round MVP that he is. Um, I completely agree. I look back at his career early in his first WWE run before he left. I feel like he was I don't want to say underutilized, but at the time they had a different angle that they were using and he had great runs, U.S. champion, tag champion, all of it was mm -hmm. good. But I feel like he had the same effect that you look at somebody like a Drew McIntyre, for instance. He had an initial run, he left the company, then he came back. And in my opinion, the most recent incarnation, since he came back at the Royal Rumble, started the Hurt Business, like he really found his own and then came back and helped develop the character that MVP is now. And I feel like had he not left WWE and did his run in Japan and some of the indie stuff he wouldn't have found the character that he is today 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, him coming back and being part of, you know, the Hurt Business and doing all this kind of stuff, um, it, it makes you appreciate him more. You can see how much he's uh, grown and how much knowledge he can give to the younger um, talent and stuff like that, you know. Um, but I do sometimes feel like if we did go back and watch uh, some of his matches, they're very underappreciated in WWE. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with your assessment. Uh, moving right along for the IC belt, Tatsui Nato has the most reigns in the title history with six. He's still active yes. in the promotion and has had three world title reigns as well. So yeah. for someone who is unfamiliar with who he is, can you elaborate and give us a comparison of who you think Nato is and then give us somebody you think in the American world that he would fit well in the ring with? If that, uh, so give us who Ooh. he is and then give us somebody you would like to see him with if you've got a cross-brand promotion with somebody in America. All right. So if you're very unfamiliar with Naito, <clears throat> uh, he loves baseball. Okay. That, 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 that's like a little tidbit. He, he loves baseball, everything baseball. Um, he's basically like, um, like if you ever meet him, um, I, I never met him, but like, he feels like the, the brother that sort of tags along, but you know, you just have this uh, love hate relationship with him. Um, he's very funny. He's very good in the ring. Um, he definitely dissects his opponents like uh, mentally, depending on like who he uh, faces. Um, and basically, like uh, he did his excursion over in a CML CMLL. So he throws in like some Spanish words, and like most of his moves are named after like Spanish stuff. And I'm here like this is hilarious. I one day want to hear him talk Spanish to me, just so that way I could just be like, oh, this is so interesting, man. Because I'm I'm half Spanish, so like it'll be it'll be funny uh, just to have that interaction. Um, but Naito is definitely um, one of the best. And like one of the pillars in New Japan Pro Wrestling, his his matches are good depending on who who he fights. But um, you know he's really good in the ring. Um, as far as like fantasy booking goes uh, in the Americas, man, I don't I don't really know. Uh, you know I would love to see like Cody Rhodes versus Naito. That that never happened before. Um, you know uh, I'm I'm just picking out of my head now. Um, let's see, uh, you know, damn, there, there are so many wrestlers. That I'm like, I'm not sure. Like, cause you always have to find the right balance. You can't just put like people together and all that. Um, you know, Chris Bay hasn't fought Naito. That'd be, that'd be pretty interesting. Chris Bay, you know, is always like, you know, the finesser. So, so let's see if he could one up Naito. Cause sometimes Naito can like one up people as we've seen, um, in the past, uh, tournament like during the uh, new japan cup like he, he got some pretty you know incredible uh wins in there without using his finisher the uh, destino but yeah chris bray versus uh naito would be nice cody rhodes versus naito would be nice um we could probably do an aj versus naito just for like you know old time sake and of course and of course we got to do shinsuke versus naito also um following along i feel like seth rollins would be a good fit to throw in there yeah and uh, after this weekend, having a chance to watch Supercard of Honor, I would love to see him tie up with somebody like Ali Moriarty. 
somebody that is oh, technically man. sound but can brawl. So getting oh. in there, that strong style and the technical side would blend together well and give us a good match on that. Uh, he is also the record holder for the longest reign. He held the title for 259 days. What do you think this means when a promotion lets a single star carry the belt for so long and a follow-up? What do you think this means for him to get over and eventually become the mega star that he is in Japan today? Like, did he use that title reign to help propel him to be who he is? Um, the, the first question, uh, I would answer it as, um, Basically, if the company allows you to hold a belt for longer than like, you know, a month, um, they basically have trust in you. They have faith in you. Uh, the fans are responsive to you. Uh, the only difference between uh, Japanese fans and American fans is that Japan believes in kayfabe 100%. Like you can't tell them different. They're not going to look on the dirt sheets and try to find some personal stuff about these guys. Like they believe the character and they come to the shows and they're paying for their ticket. Us over here, we spoil things like every five minutes. Um, so that's why things are always like, you know, up in the air and people got to scramble to, you know, trick us. Um, but then the second one is that, um, you know, uh, could you just repeat the question one more time so I can phrase my answer? No, absolutely. <laughs> uh, the promotion let him carry the belt for so long. And what do you think this, do you think this was a means for him to get over and eventually become the megastar he is using a, a, such a long title reign of almost an entire calendar year? Do you think that oh, okay. helped propel him? Yeah, um, of course. Uh, Cause again, if not, they wouldn't, they would have took the belt off of him, um, you know, right after a month or two, if they didn't see any type of progress, um, you know, the reaction uh, from the fans and the reaction from the wrestlers that he goes against. Um, because essentially like new Japan does end up making stars. So to have Naito that long, um, to not only get himself over, but also to like get other guys over. So that way, I guess when the time, uh, comes, they could be like, all right, this guy's going to take the boat off of you. And we're ushering another, um, era of like this guy. So yeah, you know, it worked out, uh, to get him over and to get other people over. Uh, my, one of my first impressions of him, as I was telling you before we got on, I've only been watching new Japan for about a year. Uh, one of my first, ex uh, impressions of him was the Jeff Cobb match at wrestle kingdom 16. Oh, uh, I remember, yeah, it was a, the, is a 15 minute banger of a match. They beat the yeah. ever loving hell out of each other. And when I started to prepare for this episode specifically, I went back and rewatched a lot of his stuff and not to make a comparison. This isn't necessarily an apples to apples thing, but mm -hmm. I would liken the way he seems to be received in Japan, almost the way like a Shawn Michaels is received in America. He's like, he's over with the crowd. He's very popular, but he could be a heel or a baby face simultaneously and kind of be that in between. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you would know better than I, but is that a fair comparison to make where he can flow in and out of being a hill and a baby face at the same time? Yeah. Um, I never thought about the comparison to, uh, for him, for like Shawn Michaels in, in your assessment, only because I'm not like that huge of a Shawn Michaels fan, but I get, I get where it's going. Uh, because you know, when you do see Naito, uh, he feels like that. He feels like, you know, you want to like go hang out with him, you know, you know, go to a baseball game or grab a beer because he's always very like jokingly, very fun, brotherly type. But at the same time, like he could switch it up and you could be like, yo, I hate you right now. Like, why are you doing this type of stuff? Um, yeah, that, that, I, that's a that's a fair comparison. That really is. 
Uh, moving along with the title, uh, when you get to around that 2012 range, between 2012, 2015, there was a guy who held the belt five times, huge star in Connecticut now in Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, do you yep. think the belt helped specifically rise him to the star level to land in WWE? Was the IC belt at the time one of the, the last components he needed in his career to get that final push to come over to America? Um. I'm going to go like 50-50 on this, right? Uh, because I always believe that like wrestlers always want to go for the big belt. Um, but, you know, maybe Shinsuke just felt like this was his favorite one personally. Um, and then, you know, with the, um, with the awesome amount of like matches he had um, and how many times he went after it, the chase, uh, getting, you know, five time, you know, intercontinental championship title wins. Um, and of course, you know, WWE watches everything and they did watch Shinsuke. Um, I just think it was eventually time that WWE was like, hey, um, you know, we see something in him. Uh, he could definitely be he's good for the chase. So let's so, so let's bring him over to America. Um, you know, I, I think that because um, sometimes they say that the belt makes the person or you make the belt. Uh, he definitely made the belt to to have WWE believe in him and be like, hey, we need you to come over. So, yeah, it, it was a it was a good thing. It, it elevated him and it elevated like New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, I'm I'm sorry for being ignorant to Japan as much as I am. I use okay. the analogy a lot on my show of people that were bigger than the belts. So when you think people like The Rock. Hogan, Flair, Austin, guys who didn't need the title to be over. Do you think Shinsuke in Japan was like that? Did he necessarily have to have the belt at that point in his career to be over with the crowd? Or was he already just Shinsuke Nakamura? Um, I think once he got the belt and started doing like more strong style, um, you know, he found he found his groove. Sometimes the belt helps you find your groove because now the spotlight is on you and you might have to switch up some stuff and then you could probably just be yourself and like go all out and be like this is why i'm champion uh this is why i got the target on my back and this is why like i keep getting the title back um i i think it's it's that the other way too could look at it as like you know um that he did he probably didn't need it but i think in this instance um he needed it um nakamura also in 2014, Wrestle Kingdom 8, he had the main event with Tanahashi, the IWGP Intercontinental title main evented over the heavyweight title. What do you think that spoke to as far as the story at that time for them to put their mid card above their world heavyweight title at their biggest event of the year? Again, it's all about trust. Um, it could have been that, you know, um, maybe New Japan did like some surveys or um, just even talk to the crowd in general and just see how the reception is. Because uh, as they do like their tours in Japan, you know, they always get some type of feedback and reception from like the fans, like no matter what. Um, and at the time, you know, Strong Style was everywhere. Even in, in America, we were all like, yo, Strong Style is the best. You know, you can't compete against Strong Style. Like American Style sucks. So because of that, they probably gauged it and was like, yo, this is going to make the most money. This is going to make the most buzz. So let's, so let's put this title, you know, as the main event. And plus anyway, you have Tanahashi there too. So Tanahashi has pull, um, you know, even though it was like, you know, uh, I mean, now he has more pull probably before he was like decent pull, but they still got it there over their main title. So uh, yeah, that's a plus. 
<laughs> so when you see things like at SummerSlam in the 80s, you had the IC title over the heavyweight title in the main event there. You saw the NWA put the television title or the U.S. heavyweight title over their heavyweight titles. So this isn't something we've seen. This wasn't the first time we'd seen this. But do you think it was the, the coming of age for those specific stars where they were bigger than that heavyweight title? You may have already answered that in the previous question. But like, does that speak to maybe the belt being there because of the talent versus the other way around the belt there because it's the belt um so what i'm asking is did tanahashi uh, you you said it there the trust in the company gave them that uh, main event spot right yeah perfect um all right i mean like you know it just depends um it it feels like they had a very good showing no matter what um, I think in, in this instant, um, you want to keep the momentum going. You want to keep the story going and the strong story. And obviously the strong story in this part is, uh, you know, Shinsuke being the very best um, at the time with all the, uh, you know, tired about reigns that he had. And then just to fight Tanahashi was icing on the cake. Um, so, you know, New Japan, you know, we, we uh, there's sometimes where like New Japan don't always follow like what they should be doing and what they should be chasing. But in this instance, they, they chase the momentum and that's what got them, you know, the most buzz, the most talked about, um, you know, for this. During his five title range, Nakamura defended the strap at four consecutive Wrestle Kingdoms, including one bout against former IWGP heavyweight champion and future WWE star in AJ Styles. Um, let's talk about that. I've seen AJ and Nakamura in WWE a ton, but when I went back and rewatched their New Japan matches, it was like almost watching two totally different wrestle wrestlers wrestle. Can you touch on the stylistic differences, how the Japanese style of wrestling in ring varies from the way the American viewers see it? Oh my God, man, I could go on about that. So what I really love about Japanese wrestling, right, is that there is in-ring story throughout from start to finish. There's little tiny uh, psychological things that you got to pick up. Um, there's little tiny, uh, you know, uh, working on the body part and then like why you know one wrestler wants to kick out like at one and then all of a sudden like you know later on it's like oh they get like a near fall um i just also think too that like um sometimes it doesn't feel like it's over planned right so obviously with japan you got to prove uh to the audience and like yourself and your opponent that you're the best. This is why we're here. We're in front of, you know, the greatest crowd that like appreciates this. And everyone gives 110% to tell, to tell their story. In America, from my personal experience and everything, um, you know, it's a hit or miss depending on who's in the ring, right? In America, we sometimes take it easy. In America, we tell great stories sometimes. Um, you know, um, it just depends on, like, who's fighting. But if you have Shinsuke versus AJ, you know you're going to get, like, a really good match. Unless it's WWE and all they want to do is nut shots. Why? I was like, what is this? They can definitely go for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes telling the story. If you don't want it to have, like, AJ goes over, like, have a freaking draw. The difference is that, like, 
Japan will probably be like, you guys go out there, do what you got to do. You know, uh, we have faith in you, uh, you know, go out there and like kill each other. But anyway, Nakamura is trying to make a statement of that strong style is in and is here to stay. And AJ is more the gymnastics and flipping, even though he has psychology behind it, but like his base is that. So it shows the difference of, you know, strong style can eliminate AJ Styles' base of being the gymnastic person because, you know, one fucking kick, Depending on how hard he kicks, he could definitely take out, you know, your shin, your your quad, you know, your lower back. Um, if you're going to be doing body slams, you know, if that's going to be in there, punches, you know, you could get knocked out. So, like, it showed the difference in style of strong, strong style can definitely knock out a gymnast versus, like, fucking WWE where, like, um, the main weakness that AJ had was getting kicked in the nuts. <laughs> that's like a totally different freaking like spectrum and how you kind of look at it and mm -hmm. i felt like um because i did have like go back and watch it um and i was like yo this is totally different this, this feels different uh, when i say different uh, i mean the uh, new japan side of aj versus uh nakamura and then uh coming to america it's all like why the fuck is there nut shots? Why? <laughs> you know, I, I always say this, that like if AJ doesn't want to have any more kids, like he could just take a vasectomy and that's it, right? Like, I don't understand why you have to injure your freaking nuts for no reason when that shit fucking hurts for you guys. And I'm here like very sympathizing and I'm like, yo, why Why are we doing that? You know, um, but it, it tells two different stories where like in America, like I said, it depends on who you get. And that's the sad part where I can't, pinpoint exactly why American wrestling like you know either needs to be better or it is better but it depends on the guys but for New Japan Pro Wrestling if you want to be you know really sit there and really appreciate the matches every single match has a story and I could probably find a little something in, in each of them where it's like oh it has my heart so yeah <laughs> Uh, one of the things that I've noticed as I've slowly went back through and watched a lot of the New Japan catalog is how respectful the crowd is when they yeah. watch the sport. They're very respectful to the sport of wrestling. And I catch a lot of flack of this sometimes because I differentiate the two between the sport of wrestling and sports entertainment. I feel like American wrestling fans are so they're so into sports entertainment that sometimes when they see good wrestling, they forget that's what it's supposed to look like. And I know that they weave in and out of each other, but I feel like you were saying before how the Japanese fans respect kayfabe. So when they watch wrestling, that's the story. They don't need yeah. all the extra backstage footage and all the extra stuff. They just want to see what's in the ring and who's on the mic and get their stories and be done with it. Whereas American fans need to know everything down to what Cody had for breakfast on Saturday morning. You know what I mean? Right? Like, yeah, totally, man. I get that. <laughs> so the respect that the Japanese fans have, I think, says something to where the sport of wrestling still is over there. Because even if you date back, uh, I'm an old school head. So if I go back to the 70s and 80s in the early days of Japanese wrestling, like when the, the All Japan Dojo and stuff was really pumping guys out, Funk and Foley were over there doing death matches. Not a huge death match guy. But even mm -hmm. then, the respect that the fans showed in Japan in the 90s versus the respect the fans showed in the 90s during the Attitude Era and during the Monday Night Wars, still, even 25 years ago, is totally different. Yeah. Um, um, oh, go ahead. I no, know we're gonna no, ask go questions. ahead, go ahead. No, 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 you're good. 
I mean, like, because I, I already know we're, we're probably like, maybe, maybe your question is going, um, you know, well, if you get heat for that, well, then I'm just going to say that I sort of, you know, I understand what sports entertainment is and no matter how you look at it, right? Because we always, because I think pro wrestling, wrestling, sports entertainment, those three terms and like phrases, they, they're all interchangeable because we all watch the same stuff, whether or not we're cheering or we're as quiet as the uh, New Japan crowd. But now, um, you know, before COVID, uh, the uh, New Japan crowd was very rowdy and you could hear their voices. Uh, and that's because like, you know, once like Kenny came around, you know, they, they, they got the okay and freedom to sort of like express themselves. Uh, so it's not really quiet as much. Well, now during COVID it is. But I really do think that those three phrases are very interchangeable and that's how I sort of assess wrestling. Um, I will say that, you know, no matter what, it's sports entertainment because uh, this is the only um, sport in the world where, you know, you're defying physics, you're defying gravity, you're doing amazing things, you're, you're, you're an athlete, um, you're taking bumps. Your body is technically not supposed to be able to take those bumps in that ring like 24-7 on boards and, and steel and maybe just like a little bit of like um, cushion, right? Like, you know, because I've, I've, taken, I've taken bumps before in the past and like they, they, they were not cool. <laughs> Uh, this is why I'm not I'm not a wrestler, even though I wanted to be a wrestler and I turned uh podcaster at the WWE. But regardless, like um, yeah, I kind of I kind of say that it's sports entertainment no matter what, because you get the sports aspect and then you get the entertainment aspect where, like, you know, after a really great wrestling match, you kind of cool down and you have like a backstage segment. So that way you as a fan can like go and get a snack, you stay hydrated, probably go to the bathroom or something, you know, answer a call. Um, so it's it's together, you know. I don't know why on the internet we sort of fight about these words. And I get that some wrestlers want to be wrestlers because that's what they love. Cool, you could do that, but at the end of the day, it's sports entertainment, no matter what. Like Vince was right to coin the name of sports entertainment because you're getting both of the greatest things in the world wrapped up in a nice little package with a nice little bowl to give it to you. It doesn't matter if it's WWE, AEW, MOW, Impact Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling, All Japan. Like, it doesn't matter. You're getting entertained for the value of which you paid for it. And then, you know, always make sure to uh, say thank you to uh, the wrestlers and everyone else behind the scenes because without them, without this amazing um, sport or whatever you want to call it, like, it wouldn't be around for, like, People for us, people like us that have this idea and give you this entertainment. So, you know, if you want to send, you know, your heat my way, that's totally okay, man. I, I, I take, I take heat no matter what, but I would say that it's sports entertainment no matter what. Um, I, I agree humbly, but disagree simultaneously. I think that if you date back far enough in the sport of wrestling, there was a point where it was just pro wrestling and the entertainment yeah. side was, your still cage match or your eight man tag team match, or like your big, like the, the spectacles that would travel with the show. That's when the entertainment side came out. And then as you got into the seventies and the eighties, it got into where the hardcore matches would come or you're like uh, the, the war, the war games match happened. And then you started getting in some of the bigger spectacle styles of like gimmick matches. And I feel like that's when the sports entertainment thing, my opinions on it happened when WWE bought out WCW in 2001, I said, that's when the shift happened and it stopped mm. being wrestling and sports entertainment and solely became sports entertainment. 
That's my personal view on it. We could spend hours and hours discussing the differences between pro wrestling and sports entertainment. So I don't want to, (laughs) I don't want to digress too far. Um, So jumping back onto topic, it's hard to talk about new Japan pro wrestling and not mention Kenny Omega. You've already brought him up once. Uh, Omega won the IC belt in February of 2014, taking it from Tanahashi. Um, So let's talk about Omega in 2014 versus Omega in 2022. Man. Um, First of all, he was super young. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He was, he, he was super young. Um, He has completely, um, you know, matured over the years. Uh, I believe that um, Japan, you know, made him better, Um, you know, gave him more of a storytelling-esque brain where everything was really, really good. Um, You know, he uh, basically did everything he needed to do in New Japan Pro Wrestling, including, uh, you know, being part of Bullet Club after uh, AJ went to uh, WWE. Um, and then from there, it just skyrocketed. Um, you could definitely see, uh, you know, how passion Kenny gets every single time he got into the ring and like New Japan and then, and then, uh, you know, whenever he wrestled here in the States and then when AEW like fully formed, um, you know, obviously we always say that his best matches are against Okada. Um, you know, I, I, I would, I would say it too, uh, even going back to watch them, they, they are pretty, they're pretty amazing. Um, with the the storytelling and stuff like that, um, I do not believe in star ratings. Uh, if anybody wants to know about that, I don't believe in star ratings. Uh, but Okada versus Kenny was really good, um, you know. And also, if you guys wanna, if you guys wanna laugh, there was a there was one point where uh, Kenny forgot his his title belt. Uh, the Intercontinental title belt, and he came out uh, in his entrance and everything, and he tells the camera. I'm going to get in trouble for this. <laughs> Not the belt. And I'm here like, oh, that that is such a Kenny thing. Like, I don't know what the fuck happened in the back where he, he forgot the icy belt. Uh, but I, I just know that they were probably like, Kenny, what the fuck? <laughs> you know? Uh, but yeah, you know, um, Kenny, Kenny used to be my number one. Uh, he currently dropped down to like number three at the moment. But yeah, I, I still respect Kenny and I, and I still love the hell out of that dude for, you know, being as creative as he is, as positive as, as he is. And, you know, uh, basically making wrestling amazing. Uh, what are your opinions on his booking of the AEW women's division? Since he came over to a, a AEW and started it with the guys in the elite, um, he took over booking responsibilities in the women's. Do you follow AEW at all? Yes, I do. What did you and- think about the women's booking while he was there? And uh, I'm going to try to keep this short as possible because I am known to really rant about AEW. Go so off. I'm going to keep it. I'm, <laughs> okay. First of all, you know, um, Kenny Omega should have had only the responsibility of, um, you know, booking the women's division and not being so tired and really run dry if, um, you know, um, since Big Swole had mentioned like how higher Kenny was and like sometimes his brain wasn't there um and you know um I just wish that there were appropriate teams in place for AEW and that Tony Khan can like get teams so that way Kenny Omega can like you know uh have his own little team tell his team like hey I need you to go talk to these women and like try to figure out you know maybe like help them produce the match and stuff like that, but it's still by order of Kenny Omega while Kenny focuses on like, you know, uh, 
because uh, he was still champion at the time. Well, uh, he was getting to be champion, but everything that he was doing behind the scenes, like he should have had a team to help allevi- alleviate some of like the day-to-day stuff. Oh yeah, the games. Yeah, he was working on the fucking video game. So like that was tiring him. Uh, if he, I believe that if he, if he would have had a team, he would have been a much better like leader. Uh, if he had a team to help out the women's division, um, because the women's division was rocky, and you know he wanted to show off the the uh, Joshi woman, and after watching you know a couple of uh, like stardom pay per views and stuff like that, those ladies are incredible. They are like incredible athletes, and it's sad that you know an idea that Kenny wanted to make really didn't come to fruition, like one hundred percent. And I think that's half on the company and half on the American fans because, you know, the American fans already have it in their head that, like, you know, Joshi women aren't aren't nothing if they aren't American. They have this thing against, like, accepting Japanese wrestlers coming over sometimes. And that backlash and that, like, resistance kind of, like, didn't really bring um, the Joshi women up to where, you know, it needed to be. Plus... I cannot believe for a second that Riho can take on Nyla Rose, just given body size, weight size and stuff like that. You know, I just really can't. So like booking, trying to book the David and Goliath storyline does not work. You need you. You sometimes need to book Riho against like the other Joshi women to showcase what they can do. And Nyla can, you know, go kill any of the other women. Um, but like, it's, it's little things like that. I just wish that they would have had a team. So Kenny wouldn't be so tired and that the women's division would have been like the forefront because we're in 2022, every other company that has that ever did trial and error with the women's division, you could learn from it and then bam, you know, skyrocket them and they could be like at the forefront. Um, you know, I, that's basically it. <laughs> but yeah, I just wanted Kenny to like have his team so he won't be tired. But I'm not I'm not blaming him. I'm I'm not I'm not going to blame him. It's 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 basically a, a collective um teamwork effort, you know? It's not only him. It's everyone else involved and no one sitting down at the table to be like, "Hey, we got to think in the bigger picture. So how can we help Kenny Omega? If if we're going to give Kenny the responsibility for the women, how can we help him rather than, "Yo Kenny, you you're you're, you're on your own, man. Like you wanted this, you wanted the game, so you're on your own." That's what like AEW sometimes feels like. Um it feels like everyone is on their own. Everyone has their own clicks. And if you're not down with the click, you're basically not at the fucking popular kids table. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to continue to go off. But yeah, I, I can. I, I can feel it already. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I've said since day one that Tony Khan needed to either run the company or be the booker, but not be both. Um, yes. I feel like him trying to book the company as a wrestling fan, but not somebody who came from the business, is where a lot of their issues come. And I'm. I've been recently. Uh, I've become an AEW guy. I like the product. It seems consistent recently. I'll say recently consistent. Uh, The first couple of years were a little shaky, but they've become very consistent on their Wednesday and Friday programs now. And what I feel like is what Kenny was doing with the women's TK should have had somebody come in and do with the men's as well. Let two guys or two people run the booking, let somebody run the men's, let somebody win the run the women's and TK be the umbrella that kind of oversees it all and gives his stamp of approval. But I feel like when you have 
12 EVPs trying to write 12 different stories for 12 different gimmicks, they become so intertwined that there's not just one person going, this is what we're going to do. You've got three or four people putting their consent in, and then it gets all mixed in the wash. I feel like AEW could streamline their booking system to make it a little bit easier for the fans to wrap their heads around. Because sometimes, like you said, Kenny looked like he was on an island by himself. And then sometimes there were like 50 other dudes with their hand in the pot trying to stir his soup. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I totally agree with that. Um, I know that um, on, on, on my show, um, I basically said um, how I would like help him out if I was there. Because uh, like, you know, I, I'm always like, these wrestlers biggest cheerleader when I see when they put in the work, right? But because the women's division needed help, what I would do because I love I love notebooks, I would take my notebook around, I would go to each woman, sit them down and be like, hey, um, let me uh, tell me like your, your strengths, your weaknesses, your goals, and like what you want to accomplish in like, you know, maybe like two years or whatever, right? So they'll tell me their strengths, weaknesses, goals, and what they want to accomplish. And after everyone does that, you know, we'll go back to the drawing board. We'll, we'll create stories. Um, you know, obviously people who have their, their, their biggest strengths, you don't fix that. What you do, you fix, you fix the weaknesses into creative storylines. So that way you can teach um, fans all around the world that you can accomplish, you know, anything you want. You can get over your obstacles and it's about connecting with the audience. So if someone has the same weakness of like, you know, let's say that, you know, self-esteem is like a big issue, right? You could probably have a storyline done right uh, by thinking outside the box um, of how to present this, this female wrestler with her self-esteem, trying to get over the obstacles that are put in front of her. And it may not always be like a wrestler talking down to her. It could be something simple as like, you know, you're showing that a lot of women use Photoshop to enhance, you know, their assets. And like, you know, little things like that to tell people it's okay to be normal. It's okay to be what you want. And that's how you build story. That's how you connect with the, with the fans. And that's exactly what I would have done if I was part of the team. I would have sat down with everybody, hear them out because it's, it's their story, their characters. My job is to get it over. And if I can't get it over, then I failed at being a writer or a booker or whatever you want to call it. And that would be like my passion going forward. It's like, you got to showcase them. Not every person could create a story and that's okay. That's why I'm there to help you out. You know, if you could create a story, awesome. But if you get stuck, we could go back to my notebook and be like, all right, cool. We did this, this, and this. All right, uh, there's this loose layer, this loose um, ending. Let's uh, jump off of that because we still got story. You still got layers to your character. Let's add some more layers. Let's add some gritty layers. Let's turn you heel. Let's not turn you heel. Like, trust me, I would just be in the room and be like, yo, we got to do this. You know, I, I'll just jump off from there. But that, that's always been my idea to try to help out any type of company that would ever want me. Um, so in Japan, Wrestle Kingdom 12, we saw Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega. Um, that was 2014, I believe. And then later, uh, then later that, no, not 2014, sorry. Um, where are my notes? It's okay. No, 2018, <laughs> not 2000. I was like, I was looking at the wrong one. So uh, 2018, okay. we got Omega and Chris Jericho in a banger of a match. 
Um, then in June, we saw Chris Jericho win the IC title for New Japan. Uh, in my opinion, I've said it a long time, he's the greatest intercontinental champion in world wrestling entertainment history. Him securing the IC belt in Japan, however, is a totally different story. So let's attest to Chris Jericho in his career in 2018 after he left WWE, but before AEW, when he was going through um, some of his Japanese gimmicks and he was doing some of that stuff. Some of the guys who aren't familiar with who Chris Jericho was in Japan. All right. So surprisingly, Jericho came over to Japan as the pain maker, where basically like he just put makeup over his eyes and had lipstick on and had like this biker jacket that I think probably had spikes on it and stuff like that. Like he was a he was a new character and I'm going to use like air quotes. You know, he was a new character um, and he decided to do something different for like a brief um, stint in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, I do know that like when he came in, like the fans were like, oh, my God, it's Chris Jericho. They they had this sudden like gaffes and stuff like, you know, that you you made it when like Japanese fans are like, oh, my God, is that that person? Yeah. So Jericho made it. Um, it was OK. Um, I enjoyed it for like a little bit because it was something different. It wasn't like, you know, him being the rock and roller or, you know, him coming in. Imagine he came in and be like. I'm Fozzie, guys, and and try to take over uh and try to take over uh, uh Tai Chi's gimmick, <laughs> you know that that'd be funny. I just thought of that. That's great. Uh, but yeah, Jericho was basically the pain maker in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, we saw him as the pain maker in his five faces of uh the five trials for MJF or whatever, the five trials of Jericho's that the thing that he did there, oh, he yeah. came out as the paymaker for his death match against Nick Gage. So when I saw that gimmick, I didn't realize that was his new Japan gimmick. So I went back oh. and rewatched some of it. So you, you're absolutely right. When I saw it, I was like, Oh, this is just Chris Jericho with uh, like emo makeup one. It's just emo. Chris Jericho is what the pain maker is. is. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he had a, a pretty solid run. He was champion for a little over 200 days. He dropped it to Naito. Uh, we start rolling through into that 2018-2019 run. We start seeing a lot of really familiar names. Naito, Ibushi, Jay White, Evil. Um, so as we start rolling into the end of the, the reign for the IC title before the unification, let's talk about some of these guys specifically. I know Jay White's real. He just made the, the crossover now. He's doing work for Impact and AEW. Let's attest to who the current leader of the Bullet Club is in New Japan Wrestling. Man, man. Uh, I know that's a loaded question for you. I could see it as soon as I asked. It it is a loaded question, man. It is. It is. Um, All right. So because, you know, no matter what, even though the betrayal happened, Jay White is still one of my favorites to talk about. Um, Apologies to all the Islanders out there that get upset at me. Um, But uh, Jay White is one of the best in this business at such a young age. Um, you know, we're probably going to get into it, but yeah, he did win the, uh, IC belt off of Naito. Uh, they had a very good, um, you know, back and forth and stuff like that. Very psychological, like Jay White does amazing, you know, promo story. He gets into your head. He uses social media to his advantage. Um, you know, he had a very, uh, long history career as being like the young lion coming into who he is now after his excursion, he came back as a switchblade Jay White, um, and then racked up victories from there, uh, becoming the first ever, um, quadruple crown champion, uh, cause, uh, they don't have that, 
you know, because because I see Bud is no longer here, you know, they, no one could really have that. So he has that. Like he always says, he sold out Madison's uh, Square Garden, um, and now he's just in New Japan Strong, uh, just building up. I guess building up the ranks of whatever his Bullet Club entails. But we, you could always have me back on another episode talking about that whole shit. Um, but yeah, Jay White is definitely one of the best um, out there. Um, the the in ring ability of telling stories, like I had mentioned earlier. You have to watch his matches and just hear my commentary over it because the stories that he tells in there are like freaking amazing. Uh, leading up to the the match with Ibushi and the Jay White scenario, I got really invested into the story, not being Ooh. a New Japan fan, because it was like every turn that Jay White would go around, something would happen that would keep him from getting the belt. He would be right there and then he would lose his shot or he would get real close and something would happen and he wouldn't get it. And I remember the night that the belt was unified and Ibushi won it, how emotionally distraught he looked on the mic because he was like, what am I doing here? Like, oh why am God, I even man. here? If I couldn't get the belt that I wanted, that I've been working for, if I couldn't do it, why am I here? And I remember just being like, I, as knowing, you know, it's a work, right? Every, it's a mm-hmm. work. But looking at that man's face when he cut that promo after that loss, I legitimately felt pain for him because he, you could tell in his face, like he wanted nothing more than to be the IWGP world heavyweight champion and be the person to unify it. And when it, like the way it happened, I was like, that just, that just sucks. Like I felt emotionally deprived for this man because I was like the raw emotion he had after yeah. the defeat. I was like, come on. Like, how do you not feel for somebody? And, um, you know, I, I felt it too. I wanted to hug him. I wanted to be there for him. Um, you know, I, I felt every single word that he said. Um, but if, if he would have won, he would have never unified those belts because he was he kept attacking Abushi on social media and pointing out all the ridiculousness that Abushi was talking about. And if if you follow Abushi's Twitter account, sometimes I'm like, bro, are, are you are you really all there? Like, you know, or, or are you like on a greater plane? Because some of the stuff that he's he says, it's like it doesn't seem logical, you know? Um, so, you know, uh, freaking, um, Jay White over here is like attacking him there. And then all this build up and everything. And then all of a sudden it just falls apart. Like that, that shit, uh, pulled out my heartstrings. And I was like, yo, this is not, this is not cool or whatnot, but yeah, it, it is what it is. Um, so I don't want to skip too far ahead because I want to talk about the unification less. Let me ask you a question about somebody who in New Japan, I, I can't really seem to wrap my head around. Help me out with who evil is. Um, oh my he, God, evil. Yeah, I seem like part of me is like, man, I really like this guy. And then I watch him and I'm like, man, I really kind of hate this guy. Like, so uh, wrap it around. Kind of tell us who that is. Talk about his reign a little bit as we uh, get ready to wrap it up. So First of all, I'm going to say that I see potential in evil, like a, a lot of potential, but right now New Japan is just keeping him with stupid shenanigans and keeping him with his manager, uh, Dick Togo. Um, you know, um, before joining Bullet Club, he was part of LIJ and he would come out in like, you know, the Grim Reaper type of character that like he would, you know, sort of like an Undertaker type, you know, would try to take your soul and kind of and whatnot. 
and just be evil. Like, I really think it fits him, uh, like his body size, the way that he like walks and looks at, at people, like you should be fearful of evil. Uh, but after he left LIJ to come over to uh, Bullet Club because they had this weird thing where like uh, at the start of the, of the pandemic, no one really knew what was going on. So like they sort of, unlike probably air quotes made evil leader. And then like Jay White was still leader. And then when he wasn't able to come back, uh, to New Japan, it was just this weird little um, butting heads between Evil and Jay and stuff. Uh, but essentially, like Evil was supposed to be that person that you fear. But because he's with Bullet Club and doing all these Bullet Club shenanigans, it's like, dude, I know that you that I know that you could win a match on your own. You don't need Dick Togo there, and you're a very good wrestler. Like we've seen it before. But Evil is that. <laughs> Um, when I did my review on Wrestle Kingdom 16, I said Dick Togo was like the caricature of what a heel manager is supposed to be. Like, because sometimes yeah. it's like he does these big elaborate heel moves and it's like you almost expect it. So it's almost like he's doing it like tongue in cheek, like he's doing it because, you know, that's what he's going to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I will say this, though, that um, because uh, the Japanese crowd takes it as uh, kayfabe, like 100 um, percent, they also take the fact of you have to tell them the fundamental basic story of a baby face versus a heel. You really can't go too much outside of those constraints uh, because then then you lose them um, because like let's say that they're let's say that uh, during the tour they're not wrestling in like you know uh, Tokyo or like any of uh, like any of the main areas but they decide to go out to like a rural a rural like suburb area where like they don't really get wrestling as much you have to play to the baby face heel dynamic no matter what you can't really like get out from that so that also plays into a factor as to why people will always well Americans will always complain about evil and dick togo because we've seen it millions of times and we're more educated to like the complexity of wrestling while new japan fans um are not you know uh well i should say the audience in attendance is not that's a perfect way to explain it to help uh, to find the line between the two because when i watched it like i said i understood what he was doing and why he was doing it but i was like it's almost like they went through every hill playbook and said now we're going to do this and now we're going to do this. But knowing yeah. that the fans need to kind of be spoon fed that side of the story, it makes sense. And like I said, being somebody who hasn't spent a lot of time watching New Japan, hence why I had you on. So you could educate me. <laughs> it's all good, man. It's all good. I, I love I love putting New Japan over. Um, so we talk about the title. We fast forward we're at WrestleMania 50 or Wrestle Kingdom 15. I keep doing that. I'm going to have to. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Wrestle Kingdom 15. And in the night one, you had Ibushi and Nato going for, it was a unification bout between the IWGP heavyweight title and the IWGP intercontinental title. Uh, let's talk about that match for a second as the final match of the IC titles reign. Um, I mean, that was a pretty awesome match, you know. Um, both guys went the distance. Um, you know, Naito, of course, uh, doing everything that he can to get it off of Ibushi, but then we noticed like during this whole story buildup between uh, Abushi Naito and Jay White, Abushi would tap into his fucking demon side. It, excuse me for, for cursing. I don't know if you, you don't mind that or not. No, it's fine. But, uh, okay, cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, he tapped into his demon side and th that's where like he goes to a different place and that, that's where you know you sort of like fucked up. 
Um, mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody can prepare for that at all. It just comes to a point where like, if you play around with them too much, you know, it's one of those like, you know, play around to find out. Uh, Knights will put up, um, you know, one hell of a battle. Um, but in the end, like he didn't get it because then the next night was uh, Ibushi versus Jay White. Uh, we know after that, Ibushi got it. Um, so as the IC title re- kind of dissolved and become unified with the heavyweight title, you saw it leave. Um, along with that, you were talking about the quadruple crown champion, the fact that nobody will ever hold all four of those titles again because they've got the never open weight and the heavyweight and all of that. Now that they're down yeah. one, Jay White's the only guy to have held all four titles. If there was one person on the roster that should have had an opportunity to hold the belt but didn't, who do you think it is? All right, so, I, so I'm going to just say everyone because I still did not like the fact that they had to uh, unify the belts and do away with the Intercontinental Championship belt because now we're seeing like, oh my God, man. Um, for like it, it, it bothers me because I'm like, the young lions that are coming in, you know, never got the chance to hold that. Never got the chance to sort of like either make a name for themselves or like make the belt, you know, popping like again, you know, stuff like that. So they're down about, and, you know, um, in my head, I'm like, what else can the young lions go for? Because currently freaking evil is holding multiple belts. And I'm like, evil, you don't need all those belts, man. Like you gotta drop some of those shits. Right. So, well, luckily, you know, Hiromu and evil are going to fight for the never open weight, uh, championship title. But then again, evil has to drop that six man, never open weight championship title too. Um, but basically to answer the question, I would just say everybody, just because, um, you, you need that placeholder belt to make the stars in like new Japan, or somebody could have brought that IC belt over to new Japan strong and like, you know, have matches there and like compete for that over there because all new Japan strong has is the heavyweight that the never, uh, new Japan strong title, you know, um, I'm, I'm more the, uh, have as many belts as you can sort of so that way everybody can like have a championship title and try to make a name for themselves and get themselves over. Um, so I'm going with everyone. Uh, I completely agree about the necessity of having that. I don't want to say a mid card title because they have the never open weight title. They've got the six man titles. They've got the tag title. So there are mid card titles that aren't the heavyweight yeah. title, but I feel like losing that IC championship was like, if you take away the opportunity for the young lions or the young up and comers to show their workhorses, how do you help develop people to know what it's like to hold a world heavyweight title if they've never held a belt like that before? Because a never open weight title is very different than holding the IC title was or holding yeah. the heavyweight title. So eliminating that belt eliminates a way for some of these younger guys to prove they can be workhorses and be a champion on that stage at that level. So I completely agree a thousand percent. I think eliminating a mid card title was a, a terrible idea. I've said it a long time that WWE needs a mid card women's title for the same yeah. reason is that they've got too many headliners and main eventers that don't have an opportunity to compete to compete for a main uh, heavyweight title or a women's title because of the lack thereof. And New Japan's I see kind of being in that same boat now where they don't have that true mid card championship that helps elevate people to the main event spot. Definitely yeah. true. I appreciate uh, I appreciate that anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. Um, but I, I would also say, too, that sometimes winning the IC belt, if it was still around, can also transition you to like maybe 
um, you know, winning like the junior heavyweight tag team titles or even the tag team titles, because sometimes your best rival can be your best tag team partner. So, you know, it could have led into that kind of storytelling where like somebody was having a good rivalry and then all of a sudden they, they, they transitioned into a tag team and went tag team gold. And that's how you sort of like elevate one division to the other or elevate wrestlers like going to another division. So yeah, you know, I, I missed the belt. <laughs> <laughs> um, Marie, I appreciate you coming on today. Go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you, plug your socials, plug what you've got going on in your world. All right, cool. So uh, this was very, very, very fun. Uh, you know, let me know if you need me for any more New Japan stuff. Uh, but uh, I had a fantastic time. Again, uh, I am Marie Shadows of the Square Circle Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Marie underscore Shadows. Uh, you can also follow me on my own Twitch channel where I talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling. Now I'll be talking about WWE all because of Cody. So head over to twitch.tv forward slash Marie underscore Shadows. Um, other than that, you could, uh, you know, if you want to support me, just head over to my coffee page, www.ko-fi.com forward slash uh, Marie underscore shadows. All right, everybody. I appreciate you stopping by and listening. Make sure to follow Marie and give her all your photos, all of your likes, all of your subscribes. Having a chance to discuss the history of the strap with Marie going through the IWGP IC title was a ton of fun, but it wouldn't be a botch bots and chair shots double feature without, you know, a double feature. So attach now, enjoy and listen as Bobby and I sit down to recap the WrestleMania 38 card, giving our hot takes, our match reviews, and genuinely what we loved and hated about the weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it was WrestleMania. And I have to admit, Bobby, I'm a little naive, optimistic, and, you know, a little happy about what might be coming from Connecticut. Yeah, this weekend was really surprising from NXT to night one the night two um i was pleasantly surprised by what wwe did as small of a build-up as what they really had for all these matches they really put out a great show without divulging too much about each match specifically yet where do you think this event fell as the 30th version of the granddaddy of them all um i would rank it probably at least in the top 20 of them i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's one of the worst i wouldn't say it's one of the best but i definitely think you know it's a solid middle and it was a really great goodbye for a lot of attitude error people completely agree i would have put it probably between 15 and 20 so pretty much where you're at just kind of right in the middle of it i said the same thing last night i was talking to my stepdad about it and i said it was kind of cool and nostalgic because so much happened from the era of wrestling when I first started watching. And it was kind of like good closure to everything, you know, uh, without going too deep into it. It was, it was fun to see a lot of the stuff we got to see and how it ended. Yeah. You know, triple H with the boots, undertaker being there, stone cold, uh, Vince coming out. Like it was, it really was, it was almost like tying the bow on the end of the attitude era. And now I'm excited to actually see what this next era is about. Like what is Roman Reigns going to bring to the table? Um, no pun intended, uh, as he continues to grow. Is he going to be Hogan or is he going to be Hart? Do you think there's solid momentum now and a push coming uh, now that they have the, the world, the wrestling world buzzing again? And I feel like I need to say in a good way, because for a long time, WWE has got a lot of flack for being kind of mediocre in middle of the road. So to finally put on a spectacle again and remind us why they can be the greatest promotion in the world. Like, do you think this is a, 
a coming, like not a coming of age, but the beginning of a new season, so to speak. Do you think this truly is the start of a new era for WWE? I really hope so. You know, they've got a lot of great talent. You know, Kevin Owens won, you know, he got the push of a lifetime during these events. Uh, Roman Reigns obviously is continuing what he's doing. Um, you know, there were some sad injuries that happened during this thing as well, but I really think the development of the characters, I, I felt, I felt more passion for people. Like I actually cared about Cody Rhodes for a moment. Um, Seth Rollins actually wasn't as obnoxious as he has been. Uh, so I really do feel like if, if they fail at this point, it's all on them. It's all on their writers because this weekend was the most perfect event that they could create with the people that they have creating it. Okay. So let's go ahead and just deep dive straight into the card. I'm just going to go from top to bottom night one, night two, we're just going to roll with it. Uh, for time's sake, I'm not touching any pre-show information, none of that nonsense, just the main cards from night one and the main card from night two. So we're starting with the Usos, Jay and Jimmy versus Shinsuke Nakamura and Rick Boogs for the SmackDown tag team titles. It was a six minute and 55 second mid-range banger. It was a great match. Uh, what are your initial opinions on how they opened night one? You know, I thought this match probably could have been better, obviously, you know, with the injury of Boogs. Um, being in there, uh, that that definitely put a damper on the entire situation. I'm actually wondering if maybe it was supposed to be a title change until his injury happened. And his injury seemed really fluke. And I think that kind of overshadows everything else that happened in this match. Um, the Usos, as always, you know, very over um, in these new characters. Um, I really think that they're a Briscoes 2.0 at this point is what they're trying to go for. And, you know, why not imitate, you know, one of the greatest tag teams out there? At this uh, at this point with them, but uh, you know, because Shinsuke and Boogs before the match, I really didn't think had a chance. But I actually, the, the crowd was into it. The crowd was really into those two guys. And uh, again, I I think the injury put a damper on the entire affair. I think the belts were meant to stay on the Usos. I had a feeling going into the main event of night two, what was going to happen. Um, so I think keeping the titles on the bloodline was foreshadowing as to what was. It was the start of the weekend. The Bloodline won their titles. They retained the SmackDown titles. And then what happened at the end of the weekend, it was the bookend to WrestleMania and kind of pushing them as the dominant faction into the future. Um, it is unfortunate anytime we see somebody get injured. Uh, Boog's injury was kind of out of nowhere. And we saw a couple of those throughout the weekend. So we'll talk about them. Um, overall opinions, uh, if you gave this match a grade, where do you think this one fell? Uh, I would say C, C, C plus, um, you know, for the short amount of time that the match went, you know, they made, they made, they took advantage of every moment that they had during the match. So I, I, I give, I give both teams a, you know, a positive on that, but, you know, really just an average match with uh, probably two above average teams. Uh, I think that I would give them probably a B minus grade. I feel like had the injury not happened, they probably could have uh, finished the story a little bit better. And I feel like, that would have helped overall, but I think I think you're wrong in saying that they're two uh, mid card teams because I think the Usos right now are one of the most dominant tag teams in the modern era of tag team wrestling. So I think they're anything but like average. Uh, but I, you and I have different opinions on what good wrestling is. I have one and you don't. So uh, let's move on and look at Happy Here's Corbin versus uh, uh, Drew McIntyre. <laughs> Let's let's talk about FTR. Let's talk about the Briscoe brothers, and then let's put where the Usos and Shinsuke and Boogs would be. Um, I would definitely dare say that the Briscoes and FTR are the upper tier 
uh, A plus players, and then you put the Usos at probably a B tier, and then uh, Shinsuke and Boogs. I don't think have been long around long enough. I put them as a D tier. Well, I've been very vocal about the fact that I think that FTR and Briscoes are absolutely the two best tag teams on the market right now, hands down. They're the two best doing it. The match on uh, Friday night for Supercard of Honor was absolutely one of the best tag team matches in history, not just modern era, not just Ring of Honor. The match on Friday night was one of the best tag team matches in history. It had everything you wanted in a good match. And one of my favorite things, Bobby, they didn't break the rules. They followed the rules in a fucking tag team match. Who would have thought? Jim Cornette is rolling in his, well, I guess not his grave yet, but maybe in his backyard. Don't you put that evil on that man. So uh, Drew McIntyre, happy Corbin. Um, Eight minutes, 35 seconds. I was over this story on day one, so to speak, when uh, Drew McIntyre almost decapitated Madcap Moss on that ridiculous Alabama slam. Um, So seeing the final culmination of this is good. Happy Corbin can work. He's a mediocre heel, in my opinion. I like I catch a lot of flack for that. Um, I can rattle off hills in my sleep that we're better at what they do than where he is. Uh, but overall, I'm happy that Drew McIntyre won. Um, what are your opinions on this match? Happy Corbin is X-Pot heat, um, and for, for lack of a better term. Uh, I think he just kind of rolls along. Um, the imminent like betrayal between him and um, the his partner, like it just seems like it's supposed to happen anytime. Like the dude wins the battle royal, the Andre Giant battle royal, which means absolutely nothing nowadays. Um, and it just seems like it's gonna happen. And me with McIntyre, my biggest thing is I hate the sword. The sword is the stupidest gimmick in the entire world. Like, why not just bring a gun down to the ring? Like, he's got a dangerous object that could legitimately kill somebody if it's used incorrectly. Um, I had no interest in this match. I have no interest in Drew McIntyre and where he goes from here. He is still 3MB to me. 3MB is a long stretch away from uh, carrying that big-ass sword down the aisle way. Uh, so looking looking at where Drew McIntyre is in his career now and the, the big push he's gotten over the last few months since coming back from injury, do you think he's next in line for Roman? I think that, yeah, I think that they're going to push him in that way, but I don't see him as really being a true challenger uh, to Roman. In fact, I don't know who actually is going to be the next real big, like, threat to Roman. Like, who can actually dethrone him? I feel like looking at it from that perspective, I feel like Drew makes sense, especially with them unifying the brands. I think it'll uh, be a good way to to have them – step into that spot and take over that move into that number one contender spot. Drew makes sense in my head. He needs a title run with the crowd. I don't necessarily know if he's going to be the move to dethrone Roman or not, but it makes sense for him to be next in line, at least where I'm standing. Yeah. The biggest issue right now is they've only built two guys for main event and that's Roman and Brock. So now Roman, we'll get into that match later. Now that Roman has beaten Brock, um, you know, there's nobody else. And this is where their storytelling is starting to falter, you know, at least with like, let's say Hogan, for example, you build up Paul Warndorf, you beat up, you build up King Kong Bundy, guys that are really mid-card talents, and you made a main event talents. Bruno, he did the same thing with all the people that he went against. And with Reigns, they only build up Brock, and there's nobody else like in line, unless Edge and his whole faction become something bigger. 
Okay, moving along the card, The Miz and Logan Paul defeated Rey Mysterio, Dominic Mysterio by pinfall, 11 minutes, 15 seconds. Um, I'm going to have you go to bat for this match because I really didn't give a shit about it. Um, but I do have an opinion, so I'm curious to see what you had to say. I thought Logan did a lot better than what I thought he was going to do. Um, he is a natural athlete, though, so I guess I shouldn't have been surprised by his athleticism. The turn at the end made no sense whatsoever to me. If anything, I thought that Logan was going to turn on Miz because of Miz bashing um, Cincinnati or Ohio or where, whichever part of Ohio they're from, Cleveland. Um, so that that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, I thought it made a lot of sense that uh, Miz did get to go over because Miz doesn't go over that often. And this is one of those circumstances that I really do feel like Miz outshined um, at least Dominic of the Mysterio uh, clan. I think that Miz showed in this match that he can be the best heel in the company because he went through the whole thing. He built Logan Paul up. He had everything that went into it. And then after the match was won, what did he do? He turned his back on his opponent. He did the most heel thing you could do after winning would be to turn on your, or not your opponent. I'm sorry. He turned on his teammate. So like he did the most heel thing imaginable and turned on his teammate after a win. So I applaud the Miz there. I think Dominic Mysterio needs to slow down. I think that he works too fast. I feel like he loses a lot of the, the technical appeal of what he does by going so fast. He needs to work more like his dad. And Logan Paul was surprisingly good. I think doing the three amigos with a frog splash in Texas was huge. I thought that was like a great you know, that was a very evil tactic to get some heat because everybody expected it from Ray, but then he countered it and then Logan did it to him and then do the little shimmy before the frog splash. So I feel like overall it was a decent match, but this could have been the main event on a Friday night SmackDown. This could have been the main event on a Monday night raw. This could have been, you know, anywhere else other than on night one of WrestleMania when there are so many people on their roster that didn't do it. So in my opinions, even though it was a great match, it was still one of the weakest matches of the weekend. Yeah, a lot of the matches, you know, if you look at them, the builds weren't there. Um, the match quality is not exactly there either. I did like the fact that they kept a lot of the matches short. And if you watch, like, for example, WrestleMania 3, most of the matches are under 10 minutes. And I felt like that's kind of what they were doing here. They were doing more... Um, quantity versus quality, I would say. And I thought the stories were well told. This match in particular, for having a celebrity involved, I thought it was a good match. I thought it told a good story. Um, as much as you would say that maybe Logan, and I'll just I'll disagree a little bit, that Logan was doing it as a heel for Eddie Guerrero, maybe at the outcome when Miz turned against him, maybe he that was his face turn. That was Logan's face turn, was paying homage to Eddie Guerrero. And then Miz coming after him just makes him a bigger heel. I think that's a cool take on it. I think Logan turning face is impossible with his online de demeanor between him and his brother. There's no way in hell you're going to convince me that Jake Paul and Logan Paul can be baby faces in anything I think they Jake do. Is a lot worse than what Logan is. Well, Jake is a child. I'll just call it what it is. He's a child with millions of dollars who could fist fight me to my death, but he's still a child nonetheless. Yeah, which one of them did the Woods thing? That was Logan. He was the idiot that went to the, the dead people village or whatever it was okay. in Japan and like filled the, oh, he deserved yeah, what he got in that. That was ridiculous. Island boys, then I'm okay. Who are the island boys? I'm an island boy. Is that a real life thing? I thought yeah. that was just people making fun of shit. 
You ever seen that on TikTok? The guys well, with the crazy hair and the. I thought it was just like a gimmick. I thought people were just like making doing it. Is that a real life? Those are people. Um, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Chef Will needs to come out of the kitchen one time and look at reality of TikTok. I'm on TikTok. I've got a for you page. Fuck you, Bobby. You're for you. <laughs> I got to pay to see your feet. <laughs> You're not paying to see my feet, you pervert. I'll just show them oh, to you for free. Uh huh. Nice. All right, moving right along. Bianca Belair defeated Becky Lynch by pinfall for this Raw Women's Title. This was the second largest or second longest match of the night at 19 minutes. Um, what do you think about Bianca reclaiming the title? Do you think this is the continuation of the story from SummerSlam with the squash match? Uh, do you think she was the right person to take the belt off of Becky in a year? I'm not a fan of Bianca. I don't like her gimmick. I think she smiles too much. She's from Knoxville, which also pisses me off a lot. Um, so there's nothing about Bianca. The hair thing, I wish Becky would have cut the hair. I really do. Like that, that gimmick needs to go away. Um, you know, she's a great athlete. I'll give her that. Uh, but I don't think that, you know, this point in time, it really, I don't think Becky needs to drop the belt. I don't think, you know, she really needed to do it. I did see reports that Becky apparently passed out after the match, um, like as she was getting out of the ring and needed help back. So, um, you know, hopefully she's okay. But same time, you know, it was a good match. It really was. It was a good match. Um, I enjoyed it for a female match, which I'm not a big fan of female matches. I thought the two told a really good story. They've had a long, drawn-out uh, story as well. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just not a Bianca fan. I don't understand anything about what you just said. In my opinion, these are the two best workers in the company not named Charlotte Flair. Um. I think that Bianca had the perfect time to reclaim the belt. She won it last WrestleMania. She worked it all the way through till SummerSlam, got jobbed by uh, Becky, then reclaimed everything, building up all the way through Elimination Chamber, coming back into the Rumble again. I feel like everything over the last 12 months is one of the few times WWE has delivered in a long-term story in a long time. So I was really excited to see Bianca get the belt back. Um, I think Becky is a star without it. She's on one of those levels that you and I have talked about where stars are bigger than the belt. They don't necessarily need the title to get over. And I feel like Becky Lynch is there. She doesn't have to have the title to be big and to be over. She can have random feuds and still be Becky Lynch. She doesn't have to be the champion. I can agree with that to a point. Like Becky is bigger probably than the belt. Um, you know, her man persona that she did, you know, a few years ago before the baby was definitely the most over persona in WWE, whether it's men or women that you're talking about. The big time Bex, I don't know if that character, I really feel like the fans want to cheer Becky more than boo her. And I think that she's having a tough time doing that. It's almost like um, it's like where Roman should have been a bad guy earlier. I think Becky could have prolonged the good guy character a little bit more until the fans wanted to boo her. Um. I think the the heel run that she's on has been kind of iffy. Um, I feel like she's she's a great heel, but she's one of those people. She's a lot like Roman in the sense that even if she is a bad guy, they're still going to cheer for her. So I feel like why not take the opportunity and just make her a baby face and just let her run crazy with it? Because if she was a face, she could do whatever she wanted and be over. So I feel like why bottleneck her into a heel position when they're going to cheer for her anyways? The crowd's never going to hate Becky Lynch. Just call it what it is. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, 
The fifth match of the night, and in my opinion, the second best match of the card, 21 minutes and 40 seconds was the banger between Cody Rhodes and his mystery. Oh, I messed that all up. Seth Rollins and his mystery opponent who turned out to be Cody Rhodes. I hate it when I mess up my punchline. I write these lines and somehow I still screw them up. Uh, what are your opinions? Cody Rhodes back in the Connecticut representing WWE. The prodigal son has returned. Um. I do agree that you're very consistent in screwing up your lines. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> number two, um, you know, everybody knew it was going to be Cody. Um, I was pleasantly surprised that they used his music from AEW because one of my original thoughts with Cody was, you know, versus the Hardys. The Hardys, when their music hit as a surprise at WrestleMania, we all knew the music. And I was racking my brain, like, what's Cody's music? What's Cody's music? Like, what's it going to do to, like, really draw the crowd? Like, even with AJ, even though he had new music, it was familiar enough from the TNA audience that they popped before his name popped up on the screen. And Cody, again, polarizing character, polarizing person, the fans loved it. Like, they were totally into it. And I got to say, I was actually into it. Like, as long as Brandy doesn't show up, then I really do think that this one for Cody, it's going to be mid-card. He's going to the mid-card probably after the initial push. I'd say within three months, he'll be fighting the Miz or, you know, wrestling. Uh, you know, may maybe they'll put him in NXT and he can go against Dolph Ziggler for the youth movement down there. Um, maybe that's where Cody will end up. But if Cody captures a world championship, it's going to be the NXT title. Um, I thought this match was good. Obviously, Seth is a great dance partner. Uh, Cody. Actually, I think worked better in this match than I've seen Cody work in a long time. And that, you know, the match with Guevara was good, but it was an AEW match. This was a WWE main event style match. And if it wasn't for the other main events in the WrestleMania card, I could see this being the main event of Royal Rumble. I could see this being the main event of a Survivor Series. I could see this being a main event of a pay-per-view, just not WrestleMania. Completely agree. Um, Cody Rhodes coming back. I am okay with it. I'm not big either way. You and I had joked about it before in past couple episodes. Like I was really over the idea of Cody Rhodes in any capacity. Um, he got a little bit of a pop from me. The entrance was cool. The pyro was cool. Everything about Cody Rhodes was cool on night, uh, night one of WrestleMania. So I got behind it. Uh, you said it right. Seth's a great, he's a great hand in the ring. You know, he's going to be safe. You know, it's going to be a good match. He's going to do a lot of really cool moves. It gives you a chance to get everything in. Uh, Cody did a good job selling for Seth, even with him taking the L. I feel like Cody still allowed Seth to get over. It was a very protected finish for both of them. Neither of them looked bad, no matter the outcome. Um, so overall, I feel like it was a great way for him to come back to the company. As far as where he's going to go, um, if the rumors are correct and he does get a title shot within a year of being back, um, I think it will probably be as much as I hate to say it at the undisputed title, uh, which worries me because I don't know if I'm ready for the undisputed reign of the American nightmare, but if he gets the belt good on him, um, I feel like the whole bionic elbow stardust gold dust thing where he's throwing everybody's moves in. I hope he kind of continues to play the hits because it got his dad and his brother over in the company. So maybe if he continues to do it, it'll help him. Um, but overall, I was happy with it. I would definitely have given this match night match of the night until the main event happened. I 100% thought this was the best match of the night until the main event. 
Yeah, and you know, I'll I'll even go against that. Like, and I'll say I rewatched the main event, and the main event's good, nostalgia, great. Um, but if you really like watch that main event, Stone Cold has slowed down a lot. I'm not blaming the guy. You know, obviously he's 20 years older than what he was. Um, but I would say this is actually above the main event. Um, just obviously, you know, the crowd was more into the main event than what this is. And I don't think Cody has a chance in hell of taking the belt from Roman or anybody else. Um, I, I think they might build him up to be that contender, but I, I don't see Cody Rhodes uh, ever holding that WWE championship. Um, and I will say I was pleasantly surprised by Cody dropping the ego and actually doing that little stardust routine during the match. Yeah, the cartwheel with the little hand spread thing. I thought that was super cool. Um, it kind of gives you an idea that he's at the point where he's okay with being who he was because he's comfortable with who he is now, which is yeah. important for him. Yeah, and again, I think as long as Brandy is not signed with a company, Cody will do well because I saw something on, I think it was Twitter today, a backstage thing with Cody like in the bus waiting and all that kind of stuff. And Brandy just nonstop putting her face in the camera, face in the camera, face in the camera. Oh, I'm wearing this special outfit with some kind of like verbiage on the back of the shirt or jacket. It just, Brandy is a cancer to Cody's career. And hey, good news. Speaking of cancer, I don't have that anymore. We got the news on Friday. I'm cancer free. Holy crap. I, Brandy a, free. Brandy I'm, free. No, no, no. I'm leukemia free. We still have Brandy Rhodes to deal with. I, I, I'm through with my leukemia. We still okay, have to deal awesome. with Brandy Rhodes. So uh, Charlotte Flair, Ronda Rousey, um, Flair won. I feel like the visual win for Ronda was important, getting her to tap. And then Flair winning dirty to kind of get the win was fun. Um, once again, it's kind of a protected finish. It leaves it open for backlash. It leaves it open for a second go. Um, overall, I feel like this was the – it was a – it was a fun watch to match, fun match to watch. But Bianca and Becky, I am all over the place tonight. But Bianca and Becky was more technical, in my opinion. I think Charlotte and Ronda got in there. They beat the crap out of each other. They really went at it. But um, I feel like it was neck and neck as far as the two women's titles matches on this night. What are your opinions? Yeah, and I, I, I like the fact that WWE didn't fall under the pressure of having to do a women's main event and a men's main event night one, night two. And that is, that's saying something for WWE because there's been so much pressure with the, you know, all these movements and all this social media stuff that you got to, you know, put this person equal with this person. This match did not belong in the main event spot with Stone Cold returning. If Stone Cold wasn't returning, then possibly yes. But this match, these two ladies put on a great show. Uh, these two performers put on a great show. Um, Rhonda is, I think Rhonda is actually a step behind this time around than where she was when she initially came out. Like it, her moves don't seem like as crisp as they, what they were. And I don't know if that's from childbirth or, you know, maybe she just doesn't have the desire that she used to have um, as a performer. But I think Charlotte winning was the right move. And it was very Ric Flair-esque, very dusty finish, very NWA finish, where you had somebody submit with the referee down and then when the referee comes back up, then they make the pinfall or, you know, win for the other person. So I like the match. I thought it was good. Um, you know, I think above average match, I would definitely say this is like a B, B plus match um, 
for both Charlotte and Ronda? Like I said, I think that this one and the Bianca Belair Becky Lynch match were kind of head to head for having both women's titles on the same night. So I feel like that was a, a good way to go. I think they should have split these two up. I think one should have been night one, one should have been night two. And uh, Bianca and Becky should have main evented night one behind uh, uh, behind Austin and KO. Um, so Flair and Ronda should have been moved to the second night. Uh, not necessarily a main event, but I feel like it should have been moved. Uh, we'll get into that in a second. So we get to the main event for night one. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin goes on the KO show. He comes out. They have a spill. They decide it's going to be a match. They give us a 14-minute banger. Uh, what are your initial impressions of Stone Cold's return to the ring and his last Ura in 19 years? Man, that pop, that Stone Cold pop was incredible. Um, absolutely incredible. Kind of confusing when he went to the back to go get the four-wheeler. Like, where's he going? What's he doing? Um, but Owens played it off perfectly. Like, when he was in the ring, like, he's rolling his eyes as he's going around the – as uh, Steve Austin is going around the ring on the four-wheeler. Um, you know, the the creative inside the ring, you know, as they're talking to each other. Uh, I thought that was a great setup. Um, Stone Cold wearing the shorts and the shirt was a little off for me. Like, I feel like Stone Cold's in really great shape right now, so I'm not sure why he kept the shirt on. Um, you know, if I can take my shirt off at the beach like I did today – then I think Stone Cold could take his shirt off in the ring. Um, wearing the shorts was curious, too, because I felt like, you know, why not go all the way out and actually, you know, put on the trunks and all that. But, you know, that's just personal preferences uh, from me, like actually feel what the original and, you know, the Stone Cold character that we grew up with um, was. The match was good. It was a good hardcore style match. Um, it made sense. Uh, Stone Cold got enough offense in. Uh, Owens also got enough offense in. It told a decent enough story for what a hardcore match was. Um, a guy that's been out of the ring for 20 years, 19 years, uh, ring rust-wise, Stone Cold looked sharp. Um, and, yeah, I was impressed. And I thought that, you know, whether Owens won or lost, which we all knew he was going to lose, Owens is a made man now. Completely agree. I feel like after the match happened – uh, that was definitely KO getting a rub from Stone Cold, telling him that he was the he's the next in line. Like he's that guy now. You know what I mean? It was very passing of the torch esque. I really thought that Stone Cold was going to lose. I thought they were going to put KO over. Honestly, uh, I didn't think it was going to be a two minute match. I'm surprised some of the bumps Austin took, the suplex on the outside, some of the stuff he did like really surprised me. I wasn't expecting him to go out there and do that kind of a match, but he did good. Um, Owens took a great stunner. I feel like the finish of the match held strong. Um, and I'm going to get to why I say Owens took a great stunner because afterwards on night two, we will get to that. So I feel like overall Austin coming back after 19 years, the shape he was in, we know McMahon sent him a, a ring out to Texas so we could take some bumps to find out if he was ready. Actually, um, that wasn't McMahon. McMahon didn't send him the ring. Um, I found out from that high spots down in North Carolina is the one that sent him the ring. Um, oh. And yeah, they, they gifted him a ring, which I don't know if you're familiar with high spots in North Carolina. They do T-shirts and they do rings and all kind of stuff. And uh, basically in North Carolina, Virginia, uh, Tennessee as well. But um, yeah, high spots actually sent him the ring. And they do high spots. I'll, I'll give it to you. They make some quality rings. Um, so, yeah, I think that we're both kind of in a, the same thing. It was fun to see Austin back. It was a good match. He came in, he did his thing. And uh, night one closed out. 
Uh, overall, what do you think your grade would be if you graded night one? Uh, night one, I would definitely give a B, B plus. Um, I think night one was a great WrestleMania. And I, I honestly think if there wasn't a night two, night one would still be a great WrestleMania. Like it's seven matches, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes. Yeah. The time was, the time was really good for WrestleMania. The pace was really good for WrestleMania. Um, it had plenty of women's matches, it had plenty of men's matches. And the excitement level was up there. So, you know, celebrity involvement, legends involvement, and current day involvement, I would definitely give night one at least a B. I would, I would say A minus for sure. I feel like night one was uh, really well put together. Like I said, uh, top 15, top 20, top 15, 220 WrestleMania overall. And I feel like if this was just night one of it, it could have probably fallen in that same range. If you took just this one rest, just this one night of WrestleMania, it probably still would have been in that, that mid tier, that 20 to 25 range for me, just night one could have been. Um, yeah, I think, I think the issue too with night one was at the conclusion, I was like, what is night two going to be able to do to top this? Uh, so let's dive into night two. Um, I think the opening match, the triple threat match, RK Bro, Street Profits, and Alpha Academy, um, 11 minutes, 30 seconds. It was an okay match, in my opinion. Everybody did good moves. Um, seeing RK Bro retain was kind of an iffy thing for me. I keep hoping for the inevitable riddle turn on uh, Orton. Uh, how'd you feel about this match? Yeah, nothing special of a match. It was just, you know, probably a paint by numbers, um, triple threat tag team match. So I didn't really feel anything, you know, positive or negative about it it was just there it was kind of a blah and I gotta tell you night two for me this match kind of set the pace for just a blah night like after especially after the excitement of night one um so yeah eventually you know Riddle and Orton are going to turn against each other uh it didn't happen tonight um I thought the Street Profits were going to turn heel that didn't happen tonight either uh so yeah it's um yeah it was a paint by numbers match to me Completely agree. I feel like uh, it was pre-orchestrated for it to be a 10-minute match. You know they probably walked through, rehearsed it, went out, ran it. The spot afterwards where they brought out uh, Gable Steveson, the the Olympian, I thought that was kind of cool. I, I was really hoping when he got in the ring, I kept saying out loud, please, just give us like a 15-second shoot. Just let these two dudes shoot on each other in the middle of the ring. Let them go at it for 10, 15 seconds, and then the rest of the guys split them up. But they didn't give it to us. And when you have two guys that can wrestle at that level that level with two Olympians, like it would be like if you saw Angle and Gable get in the ring together. You would almost expect it to be a shoot, you know? So that's what I was hoping for, that they would give us a little bit of that and then let everybody prime apart so there wasn't an obvious winner. But I feel like that's the buildup, especially now with him getting face to face with Gable. I think that's a perfect first rivalry for him, especially if he goes straight to the main roster. Well, I think they learned their lesson with that when uh, Pewter and Angle went at it, um, you know, legit shoot in the ring. Um, I don't think they're ever going to do that again. I would honestly, I would like to see Angle come back and manage Gable and be his, you know, because Angle can talk when he's when he's on. Um and I don't, you know, Gable, obviously, he's untested as that comes. But I think the rub of Angle would be great for him. And maybe instead of um, the other Gable being, you know, his enemy, maybe maybe they rejoin that team. Of, what was it? Team America or Team USA? That Angle or actually, no, Team Angle. It was Team Angle um, that Angle had. <laughs> yeah. how, how do you forget that name? 
Um, I, I think that Chad Gable could be a mid-card champion with the right manager. I feel like that's the one thing he's missing is a mouthpiece, and I feel like he needs it. So if Angle came in and was his mouthpiece, it would be a good uh, it would be a good fit. Yeah, and you could have the Gables with the Gables. Angle, the, the Gables with Angle. Yeah, they could book itself, Bobby. Uh, Bobby Lashley almost. Uh, Bobby Lashley tore down the tree that was the monster almost six minutes, 35 seconds. Uh, I thought it was going to be a squash match, but it very much, I want to say they tried to make it Andre Hogan without it's any of the build. It was uh, a it good was, match. Yeah, yeah. It was for, for almost his talent. It was a good match. Um, I, com- yeah, I, I hate when people compare him to Andre because if you watch Andre in the sixties and seventies, not the 80s, uh, late 80s that, you know, we all, I think we all, like our generation are familiar with Andre, you know, wearing the black um, singlet or whatever with the one strap. That's not Andre. Um, this was Giant Gonzalez 2.0. Um, hopefully, hopefully almost has a little bit more than what Gonzalez has. I think he could morph into a better athlete than what Gonzalez was. And I'm not knocking Gonzalez 100% because Gonzalez was a good basketball player. He just wasn't a good sports entertainer for a wrestler. And I think almost could become a decent professional wrestler, but they've got to protect him. Like he can't go out there like the giant and be out there or big show and be out there every single week on TV. He's got to be a special attraction. He can't be like Kali. Kali was out there every single week. They've got to protect this guy and give him a mouthpiece let the mouthpiece talk us into the pay-per-views or what do they call it now? Premium live events. Okay. The premium live events. Let the mouthpiece talk us into that and then let almost go in there, do the five minute match and then get out. Almost is for me is the guy who I say a lot who needs to work like a big man. Um, he needs to go back and watch some Andre matches from when he was wrestling in France, when he was wrestling in Canada in the 70s and 80s or late 70s, and really see him as uh, exactly like you're saying, a spectacle. Think about how Vince Sr. used him in the New York territory where he would rent him out and send him to other territories because the other guys could use him as a spectacle because if he wrestled in New York, every week it stopped being such a big deal so he would send him down to crockett or he would send him to gcw in georgia and uh, let ted turner and bill watts and those guys have some fun with him but he ultimately floated around a lot in the territories to be that spectacle and i don't necessarily think almost could be that person because we don't have the territories that we used to but i feel like if they utilized him where he was a every other week guy and he came out and he manhandled two or three guys and then he had a Bobby Bobby Lashley feud that could work better in his favor but I think the key component for him to be better than where he is is to learn to work and move like a big man yeah and that's one of those like things when you look at you know what drew house shows back in the day and maybe maybe almost as a house show guy you know maybe you promote him on your you know, local networks like they did for Turner and WWE, WWF back in the day to be a house show thing. Like the midget matches, the women's matches, the battle royals, they used to all be specialties that drew people to the events. And almost as one of those guys, you know, if I get a spectacle of actually going and seeing somebody that's, you know, seven feet, eight feet tall, however tall he is and doing a match, I'm going to, you know, here's my money. 
here's my money. Let me, let me see this guy and a meet and greet or something like that before as well, you know, more, more of that, you know, interaction then yeah, you know, I, I want to see this guy. I want to meet this guy. Um, so yeah, it's put him as like that Guinness book of world records wrestler out there that makes it special every time we see him. I completely agree. I feel like he can be that if they utilized him to do so. Uh, Johnny Knoxville, Sammy Zayn, Knoxville got the win. I don't want to spend too much time on this match. I'm not a fan. I thought it was funny, but I don't think it's a wrestling match. This match was exactly what it was supposed to be, entertainment. I love the fact that Mark Henry and Mae Young's son made his heel turn and came out. That big, that big hand that came out. You can out say ass, Bobby. It's okay. Huh? okay. You can that say ass. That big hand that smacked Zane right in the face. That was hilarious. The match is exactly what I thought it was going to be. And what it was, was entertainment. And yeah, it's WWE. Funny doesn't make money all the time. But this is exactly what I thought this match was going to be. And it delivered as good as I felt like it could possibly deliver. When I first found out about Johnny Knoxville, I was very lukewarm on the idea of another celebrity being at WrestleMania as another spot taken away for another talent that could deserved it or needed that WrestleMania spot. But watching the match, you're right. It was entertaining, but it was like watching a 15 minute episode of Jackass was exactly what it was. Party boy, we man, like that's, that's all it was. It was just a 15 minute episode of Jackass where they beat up Sami Zayn, the big mousetrap botching, uh, the little foot kicking the nuts toy botching. Like, I feel like they, so who who wasn't on the card that Johnny replaced? Are you asking me if I would have put somebody else in that spot against Sami Zayn? Yeah, like like who who on the WWE roster wasn't on any of these cards during the weekend that could have been in that spot? Well, I mean, let's talk about the fact that neither mid-card title, Finn Balor with the US title or Ricochet with the IC title were on either night. If was you're it Finn mid- Balor at the Battle Royal? He was in the Battle Royal, but that was on SmackDown. We're talking about the main card for WrestleMania. Okay, so I don't know. But what kind of feud would Finn Balor have with Sami Zayn? No, I'm just saying that this could have been a spot for a story that wasn't just a publicity stunt to get money for a movie spot. Like, let's just call it what it is. If you go back to where this started from, it was all part of a ploy because – Jackass Forever was a sponsor for Raw or SmackDown or something stupid. And then the, the rivalry developed and the whole fun, phone number scandal and like all of that nonsense was fun and good, but I don't feel like it deserved. If they build this match right, this could have been Andy Kaufman for this generation, but they didn't. Instead, we got a 15 minute episode of Jackass. Give me an IC title match that's a straight banger with Ricochet and three other dudes in the ladder match and tell me that you wouldn't have rather watched that than watch this 15 minute episode of bullshit that you got. Uh, I don't know if Rick, I'm not a fan of Ricochet. I like the guy personally. I've worked with him a few times, but um, behind the scenes, I'm just, he's not over enough. And if you're, he holds the IC title. How can you say he's not over enough? He doesn't, he's, he holds the belt, put him in a ladder match, let them show what they can do and showcase some moves. Zach Ryder held the IC title and he's not over at that point in time. Like I was about to say, Matt Cardone is one of the biggest people in the business right now. Now, oh, well, no, he's one of the biggest people in the business on the indie circuit and on the NWA circuit, like all the small leagues. Like, he's a big fish in small pond. This is the ocean. This is WWE. 
Matt Cardona was never that big as Zack Ryder in the WWE. Yes, he was big on the internet with his true true Zack times or whatever his show was on the internet, but that was YouTube. That wasn't the WWE. Um, I don't think that Finn Balor or Ricochet deserve that spot at WrestleMania. I think that Johnny Knoxville, they've been building this story since Royal Rumble, since the beginning, like since the road to WrestleMania, quote unquote. So I think this was a good culmination of Knoxville and Sami Zayn's story. So what you're telling me is that a two and a half month story that's developed since the Royal Rumble to April 3rd. Okay. What you're telling me is that a two and a half month story is better fit than one of the most prestigious titles in history. You're telling me that you're telling me that Johnny Knoxville and Sami Zayn deserved a WrestleMania moment more than the Intercontinental Championship. You're looking at prestigious title from the 70s, late 70s, early 80s, and early 90s as our generation sees the Intercontinental title. We see Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. We see Macho Man Randy Savage. We see Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, uh, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero. We see the IC belt as some level 10 championship. But the WWE does not see that as a level 10 championship anymore. It is a level two or three. It's a prop and they don't care who holds it. They just give it to people. You know, that United States championship, Magnum TA, Dusty Rhodes, Tully Blanchard, um, all the guys, again, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, all these guys that held that championship in the WWE in the, you know, 80s, 90s, 2000s. It's no longer that. So we have to get over the fact that the IC championship that we grew up with is no longer the IC championship or the US championship that is now in WWE. So yes, Johnny Knoxville and the Jackass crew is more important than those two belts. Moving right along, the Fatal 4-Way Tag Team Match for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship was 10 minutes and 50 seconds. I completely disagree with everything that my co-host just said to me. That was like we a had, ring announcer's voice, bro. We had uh, Sasha Banks and Naomi defeating Queen Zelina, Carmella, Rhea Ripley, Liv Morgan, Natalia, Shayna Baszler, all by pinfall. They, those two women pinned the other six women simultaneously. That's not actually what happened. I just felt like that would be more exciting than what actually happened in that match. <laughs> yeah this was this was a pretty boring match um you know even though you got my girl Liv morgan in there dressed uh like Catwoman with a whip uh thanks boss bitch for pointing that out uh <laughs> stuff to control um but yeah it was you know again a paint by numbers match you know this is this is not you know we didn't expect a bunch out of it it was you know the story of sasha banks not winning a wrestlemania match ever being 0 and 6 kind of got brought up like what a week ago two weeks ago like out of nowhere um you know if anything i think they should have prolonged that story a little bit more and you know i would i would have built it to where they still lost and then sasha turned on naomi to be like hey you know what i lost but it was because of you i lost and then build up a story between naomi and sasha for maybe next year then sasha gets her win um but yeah this match this was a bathroom break match I feel no, my bathroom break match, match is coming up. Um, I feel like this match had good spots. Um, I'm not a big fan of most of the women in it. I feel like Natalia is she's getting tired. She's starting to downplay. I'm not a fan of Queen Zelina or Carmella. 
Uh, Rhea Ripley and Shayna Baszler both need to be, this is, they're the perfect, Rhea Ripley, Liv Morgan and Shayna Baszler, all three are the perfect examples of why the women's need a mid-card title completely 100%. They have too many main eventers working in phony tag teams. I feel like booking Sasha Banks in WrestleMania, I completely agree. They should have had like the, the opposite of the Undertaker effect, but book her really well the other 11 months out of the year but for some reason have it be to where her first seven eight nine ten wrestlemania she can't get that win but the rest of the time she's constantly successful i feel like having that build up to the big wrestlemania win for a big win you know wrestlemania 40 for instance if they had they continued to build it up sasha just can't get that big win and then bam come wrestlemania 40 Sasha finally got her first WrestleMania win. I think that would have been a beautiful way to book it. I think yeah, like, given I mean, it like Dale Earnhardt, like Dale Earnhardt never won Daytona 500 until like the last two or three years of his life. Like, yeah, it was the only race that he hadn't won in his entire career. And then when he finally won it, it was, I think I'm going to get, I, I might have like two people on my Twitter or my social medias that follow NASCAR. Um, but I think it was his last active year before the, the passing. Because he passed at Daytona, right? Yeah, um, I think he won, and then it was like two or three years later. Yeah, that he was he was supposed to like he was actually winning that race when he got bumped, and I don't know. I I, I worked at a restaurant in Bristol at that point in time um, with an apple and a bee, and I was behind the <laughs> bar, and I had I had no clue how big a fan or what like what NASCAR people were really like, and. Somebody like was talking about um, Sterling Marlin. I guess that's the guy that bumped Earnhardt. And I was like, yeah, I was like, Earnhardt did really well in his career until he made that right. And the people legitimately tried to jump over the bar coming after me. The managers and the bartenders pulled me to the back and said, don't come back out for at least two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to Bobby Earnhardt to get beat up by a bunch of rednecks. Yeah. Um, let's move on to match five. 24-minute banger. It was the longest match of the weekend um, by almost four minutes, three and a half minutes or so. Edge and AJ Styles. Um, I'm going to let you go first on this one, Bobby. What do you think about Edge and AJ? This is where me and Bama got into a Twitter war um, back and forth. I, I'm going to rewatch the match. In all fairness, I'm going to rewatch it. I just, I honestly found myself more on my phone than watching this match. Um, I like storytelling in pro wrestling. I like old school NWA. I like the old school storytelling stuff. I just felt like this match was too slow for WrestleMania in that big of a stadium. The crowd, I don't feel, was into it the way they should be. I feel like if this was a smaller arena crowd, they would have been more into it. And I just feel like it lost its presence being in that big of a crowd. Um, again, I'm not a high spot guy. I'm not, I like stories and I'm sure this match tells a story and that's why I'm going to go back and rewatch it. I'm not a big fan of edge. I like AJ more than edge, uh, a lot more than edge. I'm just, I, at this point, 24 hours after the match, I'm not a fan. So right now you're telling me you're not a fan of the edge AJ Styles match. That's exactly correct. And that's where me and B like, I think Bama was saying that he thought that this should be a main event match. Um, this could have been the main event of the uh, event. And again, I'm going to go back and watch it again with clear vision and see 
what I missed. I will 100% die on the hill and say this was the best match of night two. The story that both guys told were amazing. Uh, Edge's entrance with the black garb coming up through the stage, the brood look, all of that was phenomenal. I think Hill Edge is a great character. I feel like he's killing the part. I feel like AJ Styles played the role well. Both men were the story. It surprises me that you don't like it because of the story they told. This was one of the few like wrestling matches that gave you high spots, but it also gave you pure technical wrestling. It reminded me of, I don't want to call back a stupid gimmick, but you remember the greatest wrestling match or whatever that he had with Randy Orton at Backlash a few years ago in the Thunderdome? I tried to forget it. This match was better than that match. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like AJ's story that he went along with it. I feel like Edge kicking out of the Styles Clash. I feel like Damian Priest coming out and being involved in the spot he had at the end of it was important because you start looking at that new new brood kind of thing that they've got going because it's been so successful with the entrance so i feel like the story that this started to tell is going to blend into that new attitude era version 2.0 that we're moving into as wrestling like progresses in 2022 yeah i could i can see the future of it but i'm not looking at the future of story building i'm looking at the match that was taking place and again i'm gonna watch it again and give it another shot and see if maybe I just missed something. Maybe I was just bored through the night because of all the other matches that were going on um, as compared to Russell or as compared to night one. Um, but yeah, so far, I'm just, I'm just not a fan of it. Uh, the next match was my IP break match. It was a minute and 40 second long squash match between Sheamus and some guy versus the new day. Um, I don't feel like we should say anything more than the new day should always win. Just Especially now with Ziggy and his injury. Yeah, I don't feel like there was any reason for Sheamus and Ridge to go over right here. The New Day in a WrestleMania moment should always get it, and especially if it was only going to be a two-minute match. I don't feel like there's – Ridge Holland and Sheamus aren't going to lose any momentum if they lose a two-minute squash match at WrestleMania after everything happened with Big E. Like, I feel like it should have been flip-flopped, but that's just me being biased because I'm a Big E fan and a Kofi fan and an Xavier fan. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I don't understand the booking of this thing. Like, the dude legitimately injured Big E, mm -hmm. and then he goes over Kofi, and then he goes over Xavier, like, the following two weeks. Like, it, unless they're trying to make him a monster heel, which this Sheamus group doesn't seem like they're monster heels. Like, this is going to be another just B-level mid-card group. This is like uh, Peaky Blinders, but you get them from Wish. Like, to me, let do you know what Peaky Blinders is? No? Do you know what Wish is? No. My God, you're old. Um, so you're just the like, one that doesn't know who the Island Boys are. I know the I know the stupid gimmick. I just thought it was just people. Do, I thought song. it was. Just, What's the song? By who? The Island Boys. I don't even know who they are. How are you going to ask me a song? <laughs> so who's old now? I'm right. an island boy. I just thought that was a stupid, like, TikTok thing. I legitimately did not know that was a music. That is an actual musical performing group. I wouldn't say musical performing. They kind of just sing and they're tattooed. And why are we talking about the island boys? Like, let's talk about Dimps, really hot wand. Uh-oh, wand reference only took two hours. Look at you, Bobby. We're barely, we're almost at an hour. Quit your... Uh you're not paid by the hour anyways. You're paid by the year now, big boy. 
Um, so I think overall, I think it was a good match. I feel like, uh, no, wait, Sheamus and them, no, bypass my notes. Sheamus and Ridge Holland was a terrible match. New Day should have been over. Uh, I don't see the point in putting these guys over Kofi and them, especially with Biggie's injury. So we're on a, the same note. Um, the Island Boys, man, Bobby, you have got me all in my head today. Like multiple times, you've got me like always. Yeah, you always I'm keep me on one of those cool flags to hang up. You want one of the flags? Put a mental note. Say it real loud into the mic right now in the episode, and be like, "Hey, Allison, can I get a flag?" Hey, Allison, can I get a flag? <laughs> She's going to love that. Uh, <laughs> next, we got the Pat McAfee uh, double take. Pat McAfee, Austin Theory. Pat McAfee, uh, Mr. McMahon. McAfee wins over Theory, then loses to McMahon. Uh, initial thoughts on the this play out on this 15-minute segment of WrestleMania. Why they do not make Pat McAfee a full-time wrestler, full-time sports entertainer is beyond me. This dude, personality in-ring skill, ability. This guy's got it all. Like, he really does. He he should be or could be NXT champion. Add a little muscle mass to him, and he's competing against Roman Reigns. Uh, guy's amazing. Um, Austin Theory, I'm not over with this dude yet. Maybe it'll come eventually, you know. Um, obviously, McMahon sees something if he's actually being out there with this dude and pushing him. Uh, the shenanigans of the match, man, Vince McMahon, one, the Botox has got to stop, uh, with his face, uh, two, it's, man, it's, you know, when you, when you watch your grandfather, you know, when you're like 10 years old and, you know, your grandfather, your dad is like, you know, your superhero. And then you look at him just before the end of his life, like, you know, 30, 40 years later. That's what, when Vince took that shirt off, yeah, dude, the guy is jacked. He's got more muscle mass than I do, but he's not the same guy that was on that muscle and fitness magazine, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. Um, I like what he was trying to recreate. Like, I really do. Like, I, I, it was a feel-good moment, but again, this was one of those goodbyes. Like, this was one of those goodbyes. When Taker came out, um, you know, when uh, Triple H came out, which we skipped over at the beginning of this, when... Vince does this in the, you know, the, the muscle shirt, uh, Austin. Um, this was saying goodbye to our childhood. Like, this was saying goodbye to the Attitude Era. Like, this was, you know, uh, one of those moments. And when Vince looked like the way Vince looks, I'm, I'm glad as hell that he came out there and did this. And I, side note, I hope that he allows us to put him into the Hall of Fame while he's still alive because he deserves that moment he deserves to hear the fans cheer that moment um but again i was expecting austin to come out like i was hoping austin was going to come out i doubted that austin was going to come out but when austin came out oh my god that crowd blew up the like the emotion that i felt as a fan came back to the monday night wars um, and Vince, I give him credit because he is still 100% consistent on taking the worst stunners in the history of Stone Cold Steel Austin stunners. I, I, the, the stunner at the end of it, man, like 
there's videos online of other wrestlers watching it happen. Even Austin lost it in the ring and broke kayfabe. So he just started laughing so hard at how bad that stunner was because McMahon took the kick. Uh, even the mud hole stomps afterwards when McMahon was rolling out of the ring, Austin was just laughing at it. I liked the amount of fun they had. I liked the spots. McAfee didn't get a swing on McMahon, but I didn't care. The you still got it chance. This is awesome chance. You're very much right. I feel like this is the passing of the torch into that. And I keep, I've said it once before and I'll say it again. It's going to be like the Attitude Era version 2.0. And I feel like everything they're giving us now is pushing us towards that direction, whether it good or bad. Speaking of winner takes all WWE championship, WWE universal title match, 12 minutes, 15 seconds, Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. Um, tell me what you think. And then tell me what you think about the finish. This was one of the worst matches in WWE history. Uh, WrestleMania history, WWE history. This match was awful. Um, it was the best, I guess, these two could do at the time. The finish was absolute crap. Like, it made no sense whatsoever. It was out of nowhere. Um, honestly, I'd rather watch a Goldberg match. Do you know about his injury, right? Which one? Roman Reigns threw his shoulder out of socket. Yeah, well, you know, I saw Triple H uh, pull his quad and do better than what Roman Reigns did in this match. I think that overall for 12 minutes, I think it was a good match. I think that they probably anticipated this match being double the length that it was. And if you looked at when the bell tolled and the night finished at 1043 central time or whatever time it was, they were 15, 18 minutes shy of 11 o'clock. So you figure three minutes off the back end of that, they had another 10, 11, 12 minutes on a match that they had planned. And I think the injury is what cut it short. And I feel like this is the glass half empty, glass half full way to look at it. But I feel like both of these men got shortchanged because of an injury. And I hope that it wasn't Brock losing his mind in the ring and he was just wasn't being safe. I'm not speculating. I'm not saying one way or the other, but I hope that it was accidental and it wasn't Brock being Brock because he does have a tendency to be firm in the ring without meaning to be because of his UFC days. So I'm hoping that it was an accident and it wasn't just Brock being too hard. I'm hoping it's Roman not being too soft because when Brock's been hard, Hogan, Flair, uh, Rocky, Maivia, The Rock, um, Randy Orton, John Cena, they all stepped up. Undertaker got a concussion. He stepped up. He still went. So is it Rock being too hard or is it Roman Reigns being too soft to be able to continue in this kind of match? And that's that'd be my question to you. Um, I think that Roman, if I were Roman and I had that injury happen, I would have called the finish early too, because if he continued to work and he did what Finn Balor did and caused big major damage, he may have felt like if he calls it now and finishes, he has less risk of being a long-term injury down the road. And nobody wants to see Roman have to give up a title for the second time due to injury or sickness. The first time he had to relinquish it because of his leukemia represent his fight as my fight but when you look at it like I would hate to have seen that the second night so I think it was him going if I get out of here now I'm going to do less damage to the shoulder overall so he called the match said hey let's take it home and he got out of there even the commentators were like we're pretty sure he just popped his shoulder back into place yeah I think he could have played it safe during the match though like 
Um, and then afterwards, do kind of like what Stone Cold did after the Owen Hart injury. And, you know, Stone Cold didn't wrestle, but he was always on TV. He was interviewing and stuff like that. And Roman, Roman's protected that way. Like Roman couldn't just be the interview guy while his shoulder's healing. And nobody even know that his shoulder's really hurt. You know, he's got, he's got Heyman as a mouthpiece. So he doesn't even have to show up the TV every week. Um, so I think that's, that's my difference on this is I just don't think that Roman has, Roman to me, I guess at this point, like after last night, kind of represents that 90s WCW wrestler, that Kevin, uh, you know, Kevin Nash and that uh, Scott Hall and, you know, Kurt Henning and all those guys that we really always put as a high regard, but they would clip the, you know, they would, they would stub their toe and call him to work. And I feel like Roman, Roman called it in last night where he could have gone longer and put it in a better match, especially when it's supposed to be the most stupendous, stupendous and biggest match in wrestling history. I, I just don't feel like it really was. I will say that it was a great match. It wasn't the greatest match in wrestling history. It wasn't even the best match on this card. Um, but I think they did great with what they had. Like I said, I think Roman called the finish when he had to because he was worried about doing more damage to his arm. So that was my take on it. Uh, Bobby, I'm going to ask you two questions. Uh, overall grade for night two and then an overall grade for the whole night or both nights together as a whole event, WrestleMania 38. Uh, night two, I would say is like a C, C minus. Um, overall, if you put the two events together, I think you've got a C plus, B minus show um, event. Um, you know, with the celebrity involvement, I think the celebrities did a great job for what they were. I think the legends involvement did a great job for what they were. And the new talent was just trying to catch up to the celebrities and catch up to the legends. And um, for everything that it was, yes, it was it was a good, it was a two good events. I think it was very watchable. I think it's re-watchable, which is even more important than watchable the first time. So yeah, I, I enjoyed WrestleMania weekend, you know, with NXT also involved um, and the two WrestleMania nights. So yeah, I would definitely say if you didn't watch it, go out and watch it. If you uh, watched it once, at least watch it one more time just to, just to feel it all. And that's exactly what I'm going to do as it comes to Edge versus AJ. Uh, overall second night, I gave night one an A minus. I'm going to give night two a B minus because I think what you said about the legends nights made it what it was. I feel like adding the legends, adding McMahon, adding Austin, having the fun with it, you know, everything leading up to it, even with a, uh, a flat finish in the main event, I still feel like overall it de delivered for a WrestleMania so like I said, night one could have been its own WrestleMania card. Night two could have been its own WrestleMania card in the Thunderdome. Like it could have very well have been what we had gotten in 2020, you know? So I look at it as they were both okay. Night two was okay. Night one was great. So together I give them a solid B plus average. You know what I mean? Like it was a good WrestleMania compared to what we've gotten in the last two or three years. So I feel excited for the fact that, like we said, it's the turning point in the coming of age. So let me ask you one question, Bobby, before we get ready to sign off. We're going to play Fantasy Booker for a second. Uh, if you could remove one match in the card and replace it with another match from this weekend, be it NXT or Ring of Honor, Impact, anywhere, if you could remove one match from the card and rebook the pay-per-view, what match would you add? What match would you take away? I would uh, take away the ladies' uh, tag team match, the uh, triple threat or 
four women, whatever it was. Um, and I would actually put in Dolph Ziegler versus uh, Steiner. Like, I, I think that match um, deserved a bigger stage than what it was on. Um, you, you know, it was on a big stage, but still. And finish-wise, I got to tell you, I would put Steiner over. And I would have put Steiner over with his uncle and his dad coming out and being the equalizers versus Dolph and Bobby Roode um, during that match. I like that. I don't feel like there's anything that could have been wrong with that. That main event at Stand and Deliver could have very well have been on either of these cards and held its own. It was a good match. Yeah. Um, like, and, and the thing about watching that event, I really, I have not watched NXT 2.0 the entire time. And I very rarely watched NXT 1.0. But when I watched this event and I somebody put a poll up about grading the event and I almost put like, it was thumbs up, thumbs down or thumbs in the middle. I almost put thumbs in the middle just because of the main event and the outcome. And then I really thought about it and I realized, you know what? I was like, this was a great event. Um, just because of the outcome was the one I didn't want. It was still a thumbs up. Um, completely. I, I think I could get behind that. I, I don't completely agree with it, but um, for me, if I was going to play fantasy booker, I would move some things around. Um, I would have moved the Miz and Logan Paul tonight too. And I would have replaced it with the RK bro street profits alpha Academy match. So both tag titles, both women's titles and um, had that be that. So I would have taken Miz and Logan Paul off and moved it tonight too and swapped RK bro and Miz. Um, but wouldn't that, all, wouldn't that put all the celebrities though on night two? Exactly. It would have been one gimmick night and it would have been one night of good wrestling. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, but I would take the Sheamus match completely off. And if I were to replace it with a match or any other match from this weekend, it would be FTR Briscoes because I think that buildup right there, then the fun little segment with Pat McAfee and Austin Theory and McMahon and Austin would have been great. It would have let the, the crowd kind of breathe some and then come in for the main event. So I would remove Sheamus, Ridge Holland and New Day and replace it with FTR Briscoes because I think that would have been the, the best way to have uh, a good tag team match on night two that showed out because if you moved the RK bro match to night one where the workers were, you replace it with Miz. You think about the, the pop that you would have got with the Miz and Mysterio's opening night two. That would have been cool. It would have been a different level of excitement to start date night two, which could have helped build the event more because I feel like some of the air was taken out of the arena through night two because of some of the matches. Some of them went long. Some of them were a little short. It was just kind of a roller coaster on night two, whereas night one seemed more streamlined. Yeah, I think that I think that works out well. Like, you know, as a booker, when you're there, your first match needs to be a banger. Like it needs to get the crowd up. Your second match slows them down just a little bit. Third match, that's when you put in your gimmick. Um, and then fourth match, you build up just a little bit. Fifth match, you drop again. And then your main event, usually sixth match. You know, that that's your, your big one. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's Booker 101. Uh, I think night one did a much better job with the booking one-on-one than night two did. I think they threw too much at night two. Um, it was almost like the entire card was supposed to be a main event versus it building a, you know, an individual show. Completely agree. Bobby, uh, sign off. Tell us what you, your overall thoughts on WrestleMania, what is, what is building up to and where can everybody find you? 
Yeah, WrestleMania, I think, you know, again, if you didn't watch it, go back, watch it. If you watched it once, go ahead and watch it one more time. Um, from the Hall of Fame to NXT to the two nights of WrestleMania, I think it's worth the watch uh, from beginning to end. The Undertaker's speech, although it felt like it was a seminar uh, for self-help as he was walking around with that microphone on the side of his face, it really, it really was a good nostalgia. I know he didn't mention Mick Foley, but you know what? You can't mention every single person. Sometimes I even forget Will Gray when I talk about people and talk about wrestling. So I've definitely watched the entire thing. Um, you can follow me on TikTok. I've got some great wrestling or at least some good wrestling videos because my followers have grown by like a thousand in the past week. Um, I'm looking at wrestling uh, RIPs right now, as well as wrestlers without their masks, some new projects coming up as well. And as uh, you can also find me on Instagram at yellow shoe guy, you can follow me on TikTok at yellow shoe guy, especially if you want to yell at me, jump on TikTok or I'm sorry, not TikTok, jump on Twitter because apparently my opinions are not what most people think. So Pro wrestling, anytime, anywhere, coasters, anytime, anywhere, and chaos, I'm here for you. All right, Bubba, I always appreciate you stopping by and chatting about some wrestling, man, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, sounds great. Now, as we close another episode of Box Spots and Cheer Shots, I'm going to take a minute and thank you for listening. I want to remind you to go to wherever you do anything on the internet. Google, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, literally anywhere you have all the options. Like, follow, subscribe, unsubscribe, then subscribe again. Leave a comment telling us how great we are, how terrible we sound. Either way, it helps the algorithm and it helps find new listeners. Now, if you're feeling really generous and are wanting to be one of those VIP people, you can head over to Patreon at Smack Raw and donate to the Smack Raw Podcast Network. Get you some swag and help us get some special guests. It's a win-win. As always, I'm your host, D. Will Gray. Thanks for stopping by and listening, my people. 